and I. <laughs> Hi guys, this is episode 12. We are at 400 views, which is crazy stupid, but whatever. Hi. Yeah, um, like just last, no, we before that, sorry for my dog, by the way, his jingly jingle. Uh, like just two weeks ago, we were doing our video for 100 viewers. 100 slash 200. And yeah, and now we're 200 more than that. Almost, like, we're getting upwards of, like, almost 500. You guys need to <laughs> keep coming. <laughs> I was going to say chill out, but I wouldn't like that as much. Uh, yeah, so before we start, so we have an, a special episode again today. So yeah, it's kind of long, so if you're Sunday cleaning the house because your mom's forcing you to. I feel is... like this is a personal thing. Are you having to do that this Sunday? No, but I remember my childhood, my mom would, like, Saturday night, and everybody knows, just be like, tomorrow morning we're cleaning this entire house, and you're sitting there like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, try to wake me up, and then she actually wakes you up, and you're just like, why, woman, why? So, yeah, so this episode's gonna be longer, we're gonna try and make it to, like, three hours, we might stop somewhere between, like, two and a half-ish, around there, who knows? Um, also, we're gonna sound really weird, mostly me, I sound sick, so you're gonna hear the... That's oh, really God, gross. Why did you have to give an example? <laughs> that really so wasn't gross. an example. I really need to do that. Um, but you're going to hear that, basically, and coughing. And I I am sick. I don't know. Are you sick? No, I'm not sick. Okay. This is my evil diabolical plan to make her sick so we can match. Oh, God, no. Please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I'm going to sound a little weird today. Sorry. Just please stick with me on this. Yes, and another reminder we wanted to give you guys is that we do have a sponsor that is, I was about to say Patreon, that's not true, that is Anchor.fm, and you can also sponsor us on our page on Anchor if you want to visit us at Anchor.fm, and I'm pretty sure soon we're going to be setting up like an actual email for you guys to be able to contact us and uh, share your thoughts, so, and maybe some like stories from where you live. Yeah, if you have any local folklore, if you have uh, really scary stuff that happened, or if you just want to hear, like, a happier just episode of, like, really funny stuff or, like, really dumb stuff you did in your childhood because we've all done really dumb stuff, we can also do an episode like that. You guys just send in what you've done and we'll read it, as well as incorporate some of our own. Uh, But we should have that up sometime soon. Sometime within this month. Yep. Definitely. Oh, I was no, I wasn't saying that. Oh. Like, I was like, I, I realized that I said I said that, and it sounded sarcastic, but it wasn't meant to be. I was be. like, I was gonna work on it after this, but okay. Um, but yeah, we're gonna get that up and running soon. Hopefully, and I, I promise, I promise, I'll get the Patreon page done soon. I promise. <laughs> we'll we'll work on some of our stuff after this really long hour. We're also planning on recording. Uh, three hours hours yeah we're also just so that you have a like an inside view of our lives and how we record after this we're probably also going to record some Hannibal and Altered Carbon since you guys seem to love the Altered Carbon series so much uh we thought we'd get a couple more out there for you so yeah basically we come together and we record a lot within like a week or two and then we just publish them one by one (laughs) yep so a lot of us like you'll randomly hear me sound really sick and then really not (laughs) randomly between episodes or during that's just kind of how that rolls so i believe this week you're going first right i am because last week we rock paper scissors shoot and you won or i gave it to you whatever no i won i won that fair and square Uh uh-huh i did (laughs) i remember it i did i I can't remember 
Um, I don't really give a crap, though. So, I'm doing something that I originally found out about from American Horror Story. Uh, but she was always really interesting throughout that entire thing. I'm doing Madame LaLaurie. Um, so, in 1834, at the mansion at... Uh, 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter of New Orleans, a fire broke out. The neighbors rushed out to help, offering to pour water on the flames and help the family evacuate. However, when they arrived, they noticed that the woman of the house seemed to be alone. A mansion without slaves seemed shocking, and a group of locals took it upon themselves to search the house. What they found would forever change the public's perception of Madame Marie Delphine Lallerie, once known as a respectable member of society and now known as the Savage Mistress of New Orleans. The rumors have muddied the facts throughout the years, and there are a few details that have stood the test of time. First, that the group of locals found the slaves in the attic. Second, that they had been clearly been tortured. Uncorroborated resorts from eyewitnesses claim that there were at least seven slaves beaten, bruised, and bloodied to within an inch of their lives. Their eyes gouged out, skin flayed, mouths filled with excrement, and then showed, like, sewn shut. It's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. It would be really shitty. <laughs> One particularly disturbing report claimed that there was a woman whose bones had been broken and reset so she resembled a crab, and that another woman was wrapped in human intestines. Oh. She looked like a crab. Who's human intestines? Not Probably hers. Another slaves. It wasn't hers. Yeah. Um, the witness also claimed that there were people with holes in their school, uh, skulls and wooden spoons near them that would be used to stir their brains. Oh. That is horrible. <laughs> There are other rumors that there are dead bodies in the attic as well. Their corpses mutilated beyond recognition. Their organs not all intact or inside their bodies. So <laughs> well, they just like spread around the room. Well, there's that, but they also claim that she ate them. Oh well, uh, to keep her young and beautiful. That's not how that works, but all right. Right. Note to self, guys: eating people does not make you beautiful. Neither, ne- neither does soaking the blood of a virgin, as most people seem to think in witch movies. <laughs> Uh, so some say there were only, like, a handful of people. Other claim there were over a hundred victims. Either way, it cemented Madame Lallery's reputation as one of the most brutal women in history. However, she wasn't always sadistic. She was born uh, Marie Delphine McCarthy in 1780 in New Orleans to the affluent white Creole family. Uh, her family had moved from Ireland to the then Spanish-owned Louisiana a generation before her. She was only the second generation to be born in America. She married three times and had five children. Uh, what? That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Five children? That's not a lot. I think that's a lot. That's a lot of kids. You think that's a lot, but there are some people like the 23 and counting family. Yeah, true. I was like... <laughs> that's well, that's not because they much. have like a shit ton of triplets and twins, right? So yeah. I mean, like, is that really entirely their fault? <laughs> Kinda. They keep having children. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. Uh, but she was married three times, had five children, who they say that she treated them very well. Like, she attended to them lovingly. Her first husband was a Spaniard named Don Ramon de López y Anglo uh, Cabrero de la Royal de Oh Carlos. my god! <laughs> His name is, like, at least nine words. But he was a high-ranking Spanish officer. Uh, the pair had one child together, a daughter, before he died in Havana while... Uh, going to Madrid for years. Madrid. 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 <laughs> Madrid. It's Madrid. Madrid. <laughs> Whatever. Four years after uh, he died, she remarried to a Frenchman named Jean Blanc. Uh, but he was a banker, a lawyer, and a legislator, and was wow. also an aff- was affluent in the community as Delphine's family had been. 
Together, they had four children, three daughters and one son. She only had one son out of all these five kids. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, my dad had four kids and only had one son. Yeah, sounds about right. But after his death, she married a third and final husband, a much younger doctor named uh, Leonard Louis Nicholas Lallery. Uh, he was not present during her day-to-day life and mostly left her to her own devices. Uh, in 1880 or in 1831, she purchased a three-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter. Uh, as many society women did at the time, she kept slaves. Most of the city was shocked. She was really polite to them. She showed them kindness in public and even manumuted two of them in 1819 and uh, 1832. However, rumors spread that the the politeness was basically an act, uh, which turned out to be true. Uh, though New Orleans had laws, unlike most of the southern states, that quote-unquote protected slaves from unusual, cru- unusually cruel punishments, like conditions at the Lottery Mansion, were far from adequate. The rumors that she kept her 70-year-old cook chained to the stove, starving. There were others that she kept secret slaves for her doctor husband to practice Haitian voodoo medicine on. There were other... What? (laughs) Like, whoa. Oh, yeah. She kept slaves for voodoo. Um, In, this is specifically from the TV show uh, American Horror Story, Uh, in that one, she had actually put uh, the head of a bull over a slave... So he was basically, like, part minotaur, and then a voodoo witch made him a real minotaur, and then she had his kid. Oh. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but that happened. Um, There were other reports that her cruelty extended to her daughters, who she would punish and whip if they tried to help the slaves in any way. Two of the reports are on record as being true. One, that a man was so scared of punishment that he threw himself out of the third-story window, choosing to die rather than be subjected to her torture. And there's even pictures that you can see where she cemented the window shut. Oh my god. And you can, to this day, if you go to that house, you can see it's still cemented shut. Oh my god. That's just not right. Um, the second window from the left on the third floor is still cemented shut. Um, a 12-year-old slave girl named Leah, she was brushing Madame Lallery's hair. She pulled a little too hard, causing her to fly into a rage and whip the girl. Uh, once again, she climbed onto the roof and leaped to her death. That's how scary this woman is, that they were like, <laughs> I want to die! And just kind of was like, I can fly, I can fly away from everywhere! Oh and God. died. Uh, because they didn't want to do that. And after they saw, uh, witnesses saw Lallery bury the girl's corpse, the police were forced to find her $300, which back then was a lot, and make her sell nine of her slaves. Of course, they all looked the other way when she purchased them back. After Leah's death, the locals began to doubt Lollary even more than they already were, so when the fire broke out, no one was surprised that her slaves were the last to be found. Though, there was nothing but they could prepare for what they found. After the slaves were released from the burning building, a mob of almost 4,000 angry townspeople ransacked the home, smashing the windows and tearing down doors until almost nothing remained but the outside walls. Though the house still stands on the corner of Royal Street, the whereabouts of Madame Lollary are still unknown. After the dust settled, the woman and her driver were missing, assumed to have fled to Paris. However, there, there's no word of her ever making it to Paris. Her daughter claimed to have received letters for her, though no one had ever seen them. There's a copper plate found at St. Louis uh, Cemetery claiming Madame Lallery's Paris death. In the late 1930s, an old cracked copper plate was found in New Orleans St. Louis Cemetery bearing the name Lallery, Madame Delphine McCarthy, uh, which is her maiden name. Basically, they think that she died 1842, however, some think she died 1849, um, 
but their body's never been found. Like, they don't know. They have no idea where she went after her house found, burned down. Hmm. So, yeah. Did her husband disappear as well? Like, do you know? Uh, yes. Her husband just, well, after that, yes. <laughs> uh, but her body was never found. They found his in Paris, I think. Oh. So he was found. Yeah, he was found. She's not been found. She's definitely dead, but she's not been found. Well, yeah, that was in the 1800s. Oh, well, I only say that because Donna! Oh my god. But that's a little too long ago for her to be alive, so she's never been found, though a lot of people do think she did die in Paris. Oh, so people think, like, she fully made it to to Paris. Yeah, but they don't have any... Yeah, but they don't have any statements or records. Um, and her daughter said she received letters from her from Paris. Maybe it's because the, they've never the seen town the mob murdered her and like hid her body and nobody said anything because they all hated her. Maybe. Uh, in, I, I like my theory best. <laughs> in the American Horror Story, they actually put her in a coffin and then put her in the ground of the street and put cement over her coffin so she'd never rise. That's extreme. <laughs> I mean... Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, mine is kind of... It, it makes me think of yours a little bit, but it's they're not <laughs> similar. Oh. So, mine is the cult of Cinnanon. Cinnamon. Oh, I th- you had a look, so I was like, do you know about this? Because I was actually I kind, excited. I kind of do, yes, but that's just funny. It sounds like a small kid who can't say cinnamon. Cinnanon. Cinnanon. Charles Diedrich was born in Ohio in 1913. At age four, when his father died in an auto crash, his mother, an accomplished pianist, made him the family Mm. male figure and her favorite because that's healthy for all four-year-olds. You will support this household, damn it. Mom, I can't write my name. Support us! (laughs) At age eight, his youngest brother died of influenza and Diedrich felt guilty and responsible. How? I don't know. Were you sick as... And he keeled over immediately? Like <laughs> I don't know. It was something about, like, he felt he should have, like, protected his brother. But you can't protect your, bl- your brother from influenza. <laughs> from fucking disease. <laughs> yeah. At age 12, his mother remarried and Diedrich went on a jealous rage and turned to drinking at 12. <laughs> he became an alcoholic. Oh, okay. He flunked out of Notre Dame for lack of effort and married, but drinking ended it. He I- was... I'm yes. sorry. I was gonna say, I imagine coming home in this day and age to your fucking 12 year old with like half a bottle of scotch drunk. He's <laughs> like, fuck you, you bitch, for remarrying. <laughs> oh god, I would smack the fuck out of my child for becoming a drunk at age 12. I don't know. He was saved from meningitis in the 1940s by the discovery of penicillin, which I'm allergic to, so. <laughs> Isn't meningitis a teeth thing? No, meningitis is like a lung thing, I think. Well, because I know that you can... Well, you oh, have the computer I'm thinking, open. I'm thinking gingivitis. Yeah, gingivitis is teeth thing. Teeth. Meningitis is something different. <laughs> uh, it left him with a droopy eye and a facial tick. He decided to move to Santa Monica and became a beach bum. He got... <laughs> 12-year-old drunk. No, 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 no. That was... He was 12... And then he got older, yeah. And so, yeah, in the 1940s, that just he did this. That just makes me laugh. He I got mean, a job and remarried, but alcohol did in that marriage, too. Oh, my God. He was found passed out on a kitchen floor and told if he didn't go to Alcoholic Anonymous, he would die. If you don't go to AA, you're going to die. They had that way back. Yeah, yeah. Oh. 
Diedrich became an AA speaker and went to an AA meeting every day. Oh. During a bout of paranoia where he would not leave his room, he read Emerson's Self-Reliance, and using it as a Bible, he quit his job to devote full time to cleaning up other alcoholics. <laughs> he volunteered for an LSD experiment and felt he had a... a cathartic breakthrough sorry i said that really weird he had a cathartic breakthrough and now understood the world and that good and bad were the same oh my god <laughs> he studied don't do drugs kids <laughs> take lsd once and everything's all one thing and everything is also nothing he, st- <laughs> he studied on his own, and his AA speeches changed from typical religious overtones to a psychological slant. He gathered his own following, and after a time of meetings at apartments, they rented a small store in Venice. The original name was the Tender Loving Care Club. <laughs> I love that. What are we? We're the Tender Loving Care Club. So basically, that sounds though, like a place for pedophiles. What, <laughs> what happened was What's that he thought that there should be like a drug anonymous. And there wasn't, so he created that as the so, Tending Love and Care Club. I should. LSD for free would attract a lot more drug addicts. He created what was known as the game, in which anyone was allowed to say anything, true or not to someone to cause an effect, usually negative. Only the threat of violence was prohibited. So basically, you could be like, I slept with your wife. Yes. And somebody gets mad and you're like, you can't be like, I'll kill you. That's the only thing. Yeah. I will break all your pinky toes. All two of them. It was a game because one being gamed could turn the game on another. They survived by begging stale food from catering trucks and hookers doing tricks and donations. Drug users started coming and the alcoholics objected. And since there was already an AA, Diedrich tossed out the drunks and kept the dope fiends. Oh, God. A member slurring the words... Symposium and seminar led to the group being called Synanon. Synanon. <laughs> Diedrich pulled on everyone to stay, promising that a great future would emerge. When members kicked the drugs and their shakes disappeared, many were told their problems were that they still loved their mothers and were given suggested mates for holding power. So basically, people like were married and they'd go into this cult and he would split them up and put them with different people, and they would, like, marry those people. I would be so mad, but I like that well, the they problem also, is they like, love their mother. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why is that the issue? <laughs> I don't know. Your main issue in life is that you love your mother. <laughs> oh? Addicts' behaviors and past lives were attacked viciously in the games and were told their lives... De- uh, sorry, were told their lives... We're told their lives depended on staying. Contacts with family were prohibited, and a system of rewards and punishments was applied. Publicly, one was berated for misdeeds, and Diedrich acknowledged that the system was brainwashing. So basically, throughout all hours of the day, he would have this intercom system throughout, like, the buildings that they were in, where he would just, like, yell and rant about, like, life and all of this, and how, like, they can't be drug addicts and blah bitty blah LSD once, man. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. Diedrich said freedom to think to a dope addict was like a gun to a baby. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Diedrich concluded in 1967 that the program was not a success and ended the concept of graduating from Synanon. You're stuck here forever. (laughs) If it's not a success, that means you can never leave. 
Without continued peer pressure, most ex-addicts reverted on leaving. Because of this, he proclaimed no one should ever graduate, remain forever, and they could build a utopia world designed by Diedrich. Oh. Synodon purchased in oh 1967 God. the Club Casa del Mar, a large beachside hotel in Santa Monica. Casa del Mar. And used it as a center and dormitory for drug treatment and business operations, making $10 million a year without being taxed. Holy fuck. So they weren't being taxed because they were a religion. They Like, they switched to saying they were a religion. Oh, my God. This was so popular at a time that people from Hollywood... Like, before it was, like, a you-can't-leave thing would come in just to play the game. They just wanted to sit there and get berated. Yes. That's... People would come from all over just to play the game. I don't know if I could play the game. I don't have a tolerance for stuff like that. I lost my spot. Okay, Synodon pressured old club members to leave, and complaints led to the city taking a wrongful action that may have changed history. The city claimed it owned the beachfront, and rather than take it to court, sent police officers and bulldozers across the sand, knocking down the cabanas and paved courts. Paddy wagons awaited Synanon protesters. Diedrich sued Santa Monica, and it surrendered, and Synanon became untouchable because everybody was afraid to go against them. Well, yeah, a fucking religion sued you. <laughs> What are you talking about? So then it took one step further. So now in this cult, babies were being taken from parents and raised in what was called the hatchery. Synanon now instituted containment, which was disallowing contact with outsiders, like, on a whole. Basically, the Drug Anonymous Club changed to a church to a cult. They were now being sleep-deprived with games lasting up to two to three days, and after being verbally beaten down were given LSD to regain the high Diedrich had experienced, and then taken into the ways of Synanon. I like the fact that this is a Drugs Anonymous, so then I'm gonna beat like, you down And he's like, LSD. <laughs> and then LSD, and then I'm taking your children. <laughs> yeah, so he basically gave them LSD, and then while they were on LSD, would tell them, like, how Synanon was going to help their lives after this and that they would never do, like, another drug. And Except that would, for LSD. And because they're on LSD, well, the, the point was that they weren't supposed to do this again, like, after that. But uh, after that, because they were high on LSD, they would, like, believe him. And so they would, like, be fully brainwashed because sleep deprivation, deprivation and not being allowed to, like, eat or drink for, like, three days will do that to you. Oh, yeah. That'll make you extremely susceptible. So. That's fucking crazy. At this time, everyone, including women, also shaved their heads and wore white cloaks. Like the KKK. <laughs> well, or the monks. Monks do that, too. No, these were creepy. They weren't, like, monks. So teenagers that were sent to juvenile agencies were instead sent to Synanon, where it was promised... Oh my god! ...they would be cared for and sent back out into the world. I love the fact that parents, instead of sending No, 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 that's, oh, that's not the, the case. The state was sending Yes. Them? Oh my yes. fuck! Yes. Basically what would happen is that, uh, like, they had too many teens that were being, like rowdy and in juvenile detention and they had no place to put them and Synanon went well we have a way to fix that just give them here and we'll like fix them up and then send them back out into the world because basically Diedrich was telling the like news stations and stuff that he had like a, a like a 90% turnout for his like because like, nobody games, ever worked. worked yeah so he was saying that 
uh, the game changed people and that they could, in fact, become, like, non-addicts and go out into the world. The fact, though, was that he wasn't letting them go. It, it will change them. He's just not letting them back into the world. Yes. So as these teenagers didn't want to be there, the games didn't work on them and violence was permitted upon them. Breaking for the first time Synanon's non-violent rule, children were struck across the face, knocked down, and then sent to the games again. Abused children began running away, helped by a modern underground railroad of nearby ranchers just wanting to send them home to their parents. A Synanon mob beat one of the ranchers, Gambini, in front of his family and started attacks started to attack outsiders that got too close to the Synanon property. Oh my gosh. So then what happened was that, like, in this town, there was a whole lot of trouble where, uh, basically, it was kind of a stalemate in a way for, like, after what I'm about to tell you, where, like, Synanon would start attacking people that were helping these kids escape, and then those people would retaliate against, like, a Synanon person that was, like, out and about, like, doing groceries and stuff because somebody had to do that. And then it was a stalemate because Synanon got so extreme that the people were afraid what they would do to them. Well, yeah, they could be burned alive, like, at home. In 1977, Synanon kidnapped a woman and would not return her to her husband, saying she wanted to be there. The husband... Uh, hired an attorney and locked horns for eight years before getting his wife back. Local police refused to look into Synanon because of the fear of beatings and violence quickly breaking out. A congressman attacking Synanon politically received a deadly snake in his mailbox and almost died because of the attack. Oh my gosh, these people are crazy. Diedrich was eventually arrested for his misdeeds, but Synanon still exists today. Are you... Is that, oh god, there's this, it's in, so, this was going on in Petaluma as well, Petaluma, California. No, there's this, uh, one society, it's like Scientology or whatever. It's not Scientology, but it is kind of like that. Yeah. That's, oh god, no, (laughs) stop. Yeah, Synanon exists today, it's still a thing. That's so dumb, I don't understand why you would just let that keep going. Well, they are. Just kill them off. (laughs) Uh, well, um, don't kill them, but, like, maybe don't allow them to do that. They're just going to fucking go to the supermarket and kidnap someone. It's an at-home synonym. <laughs> I'm not. No. Bomb the town. Oh, my God. I can't. Okay, who's your next? So, my next, which was also on an episode of American Horror Story. Uh, and I, I haven't been watching it lately, but I did remember her. From the episode of Hotel, I want to say. Yes, it was Hotel. During the season. Is Eileen Warnos. So, she was born Eileen Carol Pittman in Troy, Michigan on February 29th, 1956. Her Finnish-American mother, Diane Warnos, born 1939, was 14 years old when she married Eileen's father, 16-year-old Leo Dale Pittman. On June 3rd, 1954, Eileen's older brother Keith was born on uh, whatever. After less than two years of marriage, the two, uh, and two months months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce. 
The Warnos never met her father. He was incarcerated for the, at the time of her birth. Leo Dale Pittman was diagnosed with schizophrenia, later convinced, uh, convicted of sex crimes against children, and eventually committed suicide by hanging in prison on January 30th, 1969. In January 1960, when Warnos was almost four years old, Diane abandoned her children, leaving them with their maternal grandparents, Lori and Britta... Warnos, who legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18, 1960. At the age of 11, Warnos began engaging in sexual activities in school in exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. She'd also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Warnos said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. In 1970, at age 14, she became pregnant, having been raped by an accomplice of her grandfather. Warnos- oh my god. <laughs> right? She gave birth to a boy at a home for unwed mothers on March 23, 1971, and the child was placed for adoption. A few months after her son was born, she dropped out of school about the same time that her grandmother died of liver failure. When Warnos was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house, and she began supporting herself as a prostitute and living in the woods near her old phone. I know. So, at the age of 18, she was arrested in Jefferson City, Colorado, for driving under the influence, which is a DUI, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She was later charged with a failure to appear. Of course. <laughs> she lives yeah. in the woods. What She's like, not want? coming up for that. She's not showing up. I, I wouldn't want to either. In 1976, she hitchhiked to Florida, where she met 69-year-old Yacht Club President Louis Grotzfeld. Oh my god. <laughs> they got married. What? He, What? Yep. He, uh, hold, a on. hold on. Married. Hold on. How old was she? Uh, in seventy four. So she was twenty. I was gonna. Yeah, but he's he's sixty nine. I know. Year old I yacht know club he's sixty nine. But if you're a yacht club president, why do you go for like a trash woman from the woods? <laughs> I don't right. understand. Sure, um, she's like way younger, but like, was she hot or? <laughs> I don't understand. Let us look. Oh, real time research. <laughs> Was she ugly? Was she not? Well, I mean, this is also... Nope. <laughs> she was not attractive. This is also subjective, but nope. I'm gonna say nope. In many stages of her life, she was not attractive. Oof. Yeah, but she also had a really hard life. Like, I... That does not affect how attractive you are. No, but I mean, like, for some sympathy, she was, like, raped several times. So, you know, some pity. Some pity party for her ugly face, yes. but the announcement of their nuptials was printed in the local newspaper society pages however she continually involved herself in uh, confrontations at their local bar and went to jail briefly for assault (laughs) she also hit fell with his own cane leading him to get a restraining order against her within weeks of the marriage Oh my god. She whacked the 69-year-old man with his <laughs> own cane. He deserved it. He, he married a, a young, wily rascal. <laughs> he literally married, like, trailer park trash, basically. <laughs> yes. Oh god. Not to say that everybody that lives in a trailer, trailer park, park is, is trash, trash, but we all know that one person that lives in a trailer park that is trash. Yeah, so that's... So, not everybody's trash, but she is. <laughs> Um, she returned to Michigan on July 14th, 1976, the same year she got married. She was arrested in Atrium County and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) On July 17th, her brother Keith died of a... 
esophageal cancer. It's esophageal, yeah, because it's throat cancer. It's throat cancer. And she received $10,000 from his life insurance. She and her husband annulled their marriage on July 21st after only nine weeks of being married. Yeah, that's smart. Very smart. In August of 1976, uh, she was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. She used the money inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spent the rest of the week within two months, or spent the rest of the money within two months buying luxuries, including a new car, which she wrecked shortly after we were buying it. Oh my god. So irresponsible. <laughs> On May 20th in 1981, she was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for the armed robbery of a convenience store where she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. Of course. She was sentenced to prison on May 4th of 1982 and released on June 30th, 1983. I'm, I'm like, I'm sad because I want to, like, I want to assume that her brother was just this nice, sweet person and he's, like, just, you know, before he died, watching his sister Do make, like, a wreck of her life and then basically funds it after that. That, that'd be really sad, but... I mean, who knows if Keith was actually nice, but in my mind, for some because she's so bad, I just imagine him being, like... A decent person? Yeah, a decent human being. But yeah, so... God. I, I hope she... I hope her brother was a decent person. Yeah. Me too. <sighs> but kind of not, because I know the reverse of that, being an okay person and having trash siblings, so... <laughs> <laughs> On May 1st of 1984, Warnos was arrested for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank in Key West. On November 30th, 1985, she was named as a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. On January 4th... Hey, Pasco's in Texas. Yes, it is. I've been there. Not to Pasco, but to Texas. <laughs> in 1986, Warnos was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing identification bearing her aunt's name... They're trying to get her aunt arrested. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> Miami police officers found a thirty-eight caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in the stolen car. It's like she just, like, is going downhill so fast. I feel like she's, she's doing hitting, everything wrong. I feel like she's hitting every, like, felony you can catch on the way she's down. Got, she's got, like, a, a book with a checklist in it. She's like, I've done this. I've, I've done stolen this. a car. I've done... I've stolen packs of cigarettes. I've robbed a convenience store. I tried <laughs> What's to get, next? Right? False identification. On June 2nd, 1986, Volsia County Deputy Sheriff's detained Warnos for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding $200. Well... Not even, like, 500 Just, like, 200 I just want 200 <laughs> Just get a job. You'll get it. Warnos, I gotta go buy some more cigarettes, man. <laughs> Warnos was found to be carrying spare ammunition, and police discovered a twenty-two pistol under the passenger seat she had occupied. Yeah, under the passenger sheet? The passenger sheet she had occupied. The passenger sheet. Yes. <laughs> the passenger seat. Yes. Uh, around this time, she met uh, Tyria Moore, a hotel maid, at a Daytona Beach gay bar. Oh. They moved in together, and Warno supported them with her earnings as a prostitute. <laughs> with her ugly butt face, she was able to prostitute. On July 4th of 1987, Daytona Beach police detained Warnos and Moore at a bar for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. I believe it. <laughs> On March 12th, 1988, Warnos accused a Daytona 
Beach bus driver of assault. She claimed that he had pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. Moore was listed as a witness to the incident. Up until her execution, Warnos claimed to be still in love with Moore. She was a lesbian. Why was she executed? I will tell you right now. Oh, okay. So seven men were killed within a period of 12 months. Okay. So Richard Mallory, age 51, November 30th of 1989, electronic store owner in Clearwater, uh, Warno's first victim, was a convicted rapist who she claimed to have killed in self-defense. Two days later, a Volsa County deputy sheriff found Mallory's abandoned vehicle. On December 13th, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. This was on it was on this murder that warnos was initially condemned oh gotcha then there was david spears age 43 construction work construction worker in winter garden on june 1st 1990 his naked body was found along florida state road 19 in citrus county he had been shot six times that sounds so, like i was about to say that sounds so nice citrus county but i realized i was saying that right after you were saying <laughs> He was shot. He was shot. Times. But the like Citrus imagine, County sounds really yeah, nice. Imagine living in a place called Citrus County, which has no oranges nor limes or apples or anything with citrus. That would just be upsetting. <laughs> I live in Citrus County, the only county without citrus. <laughs> Next was Charles Carskadon, which is a really weird last name. He was forty. Hey, don't diss his last name. It's a weird last name. Don't diss it. I'm not dissing it. I was pointing out the obvious. It's rude. Oh, my God. (laughs) May 31st of 1990, he's a part-time rodeo worker. On June 6th of 1990, his body was found in Pasco County. He was shot nine times with a small caliber weapon. Um, There's Peter Symes, age 65. He was a a retarded merchant. He's a retired merchant. (laughs) (laughs) God, <laughs> he devoted much of his time to a Christian outreach ministry. In June 1990, Simes left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. He was a retarded merchant. <laughs> He's a retired merchant. I can't get over that you said that, though. <laughs> oh, More my God. Warnos were seen abandoning the car, and Warner's palm print was found on the interior door handle. His body was never found. <laughs> I can't. I can't get over it. He's a retarded sea merchant. (laughs) (laughs) Troy Burress was age 50. He's a sausage salesman from (laughs) Ocal. Oh my god. I don't know why this is funny, but it is. On July 31st, 1990, he was reported missing. On August 4th, 1990, his body was found in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County. He had been shot twice. What I think State Road ninety or State Road nineteen needs better watch. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh god, just so all of my victims are left here. I like that they put his name. He's Charles, quote unquote, Dick Humphreys, age fifty six. Okay, quick, quick side note. Yeah. So, my dad owns a Porsche, and we are a part of a Porsche club, <laughs> and there's a guy there. His name is Charles, but they call him Dick. His last name is Moist, so his name is Dick Moist, and it's always so funny to hear, (laughs) because that's how they, like, address him. When we have, like, awards or something, like, when we go out to dinner, they're like, Dick Moist, do you want this? And I'm like, Dick Moist. (laughs) I wonder if he thinks that, too, but he finds it funny himself, so he allows it. (laughs) 
I don't know. But like, you have a nice name like Charles. Why not be called Charlie instead of Dick? I don't understand where <laughs> Dick comes from in that. Maybe it's a middle name kind of thing. Like their middle name is like Richard. Charles Richard Humphreys is probably Charles how do you get Dick. how do you get Rick, and then they try change it to Dick. But why? Just be Rick. Rick is so much better than being called Dick. I don't understand I why you want a, that. It's a ye olden times thing. He is really old. See? That's just it's guys. Don't be called Dick, okay? Don't allow Pick yourself. Rick or Charles or Charlie. Don't be a dick. <laughs> don't don't allow yourself to be degraded this way. Um, retired U.S. Air Force Major, former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. Uh, on September 12th, 1990, his body was found in Marion County. He was fully clothed and had been sought, shot. He'd been sought out six times. <laughs> He'd been shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in Swanee County. Swanee County. Uh, so Dick was shot six times. In the dick? <laughs> Walter uh, Gino Antonio, age 62. He was a trucker, security guard, and police res. You are having issues. I really am. On November 19th, 1990, Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote logging road in Dixie County. Nearly naked? Did he have, like, one sock on? Like, maybe. A glove? Maybe there was just a sock over his dick. Nearly <laughs> naked. <laughs> He'd been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevin. Uh, I, I totally Brevard thought County. you were going to say five days later, he was shot five more times. I was like, wow. <laughs> Someone was real pissed about it. <laughs> but okay so, those are the seven people that had been killed within a 12-month period uh, on july 4th of 1990 they abandoned sime's car after they were involved in an accident witnesses who had seen the woman driving the victim's car provided police with their names and descriptions resulting in a media campaign to locate them police also found some of the victim's belongings in pawn shops and retrieved fingerprints matching those found in victim's cars Warnos had a criminal record in Florida, and her pr- fingerprints were on file. No, duh. Dumb hoe. <laughs> like, if you're gonna commit murder, go in a county where they don't have your fucking fingerprints. <laughs> or a long history of fucking being in jail several times. Oh my god. So the last re- resort bar in Volsia County, where Warnos was arrested, uh, on January 9th, 1991, she was a what? Uh, she was she arrested. Was, she was arrested on an outstanding warrant at the last resort, a biker bar in Volsia County. Police located more the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. How is it you can say Scranton and Volsia County, but not like arrested? Arrested. I don't know. Uh, she agreed to elicit a confession from Warnos in exchange for immunity from prosecution. Moore returned with with the police to Florida, where she was put up in a motel. Under police guidance, she made numerous telephone calls to Warnos, pleading for her help in clearing her name. Three days later, on January 16th, 1991, Warnos confessed to the murder. She claimed the men had tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. Alleriator. What is is wrong with you? I don't know. A year later, on January 14th, 1992, Warnos was on trial for the murder of Mallory, although previous convictions are normally inadmissible in criminal trials. Under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes to show a pattern of illegal activity. On 1927, on 1927 of January 22, <laughs> God damn it. Oh my god! 
I keep reading. January 27th, 1992. Are you dyslexic? Like, are we learning something new right now? I really think I might. You might? I might be. (laughs) Wuornos was convinced... Convicted of Mallory's murder without remorse. She was convinced she did it. <laughs> at, her sent- at her sentencing, psychiatrist for the defense testified that she was mentally unstable. Especially if she was convinced she did it. <laughs> She's mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Four days later, she was sentenced to death. How mean. They're like, she's got borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. And they're like, kill "Kill her. (laughs) Put her down. Put her down. Murder. On March 31st, 1992, she pleaded no contest to the murders of Humphreys, Burress, and Spears, saying she wanted to get right with God. In her statement to the court, she said, in part, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to. On May 15th, 1992, Warnos was given three more death sentences. The thing, though, is that, like, you're a prostitute. So I'm not trying to be insensitive. Like, this is a serious topic. But, like, being a prostitute, like, what's considered rape and just prostitution? Well, I think one, I think I know the difference is... When, I mean, like, not wanting it, I get that, but it's like... Well, I think with prostitution, if, if you you're can known, kind of say yes or no. But it's like, if if you're a known prostitute and men come on to you for that, like, I don't understand. Well, I think that... when she's saying starting to rape me, like, basically, like, started the act and then she killed them. Or, like, got them off of her, did whatever. Okay. So I would say the difference is, like, willingly being like, yes, have sex with me. For I'm money. Okay with this. Yes, you will pay me first. <laughs> Whatever. And then the difference, you know, with rape is like them coming on to you and you may be a prostitute, but you're being like, no, no, and they're like, I'm gonna fuck you anyway. Okay, okay. So I would say that. Because I was just I was slightly confused. Like I just wanna clarify yeah. because in prostitution your job is literally to have sex with people. Yeah. To my understanding. So Which it just yeah, it didn't it make is. sense to me, so Yeah. Yeah, there, there's just, a whole thing now about like prostitution and that they shouldn't be called prostitutes or they like, be like sex workers yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Which I, re- I really think they should probably find a better word for that since prostitution or prostitute has a negative connotation behind it, but I think if they I don't made think it sex an workers is really any better. I think well cuz they call it like a profession, so if they like actually went about it maybe in like a brothel or something. I don't know. Okay, continue. Sorry. It's all right. Uh, in June 1992, Warnos pleaded guilty to the murder of <laughs> Karskadon. Is there a point in, like, pleading at this? Like, pleading guilty? You're already gonna you die. You got four death sentences on. You might as well. In November 1992, she received her fifth death sentence. Oh, my God. They want to kill you. Score. <laughs> She's going for ten. <laughs> <laughs> the defense made efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Mallory had been tried for intent to co- commit rape in Maryland and that he had committed to a maximum security correctional facility that provided re- remediation, remediation to sexual <sighs> offenders. Records obtained from the institution reflect that from 1958 to 1962, Mallory was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault and with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. In 1961, it was, it was observed to Mr. Mallory that he possessed uh, strong sociopathic trends. 
The judge refused to allow us to be admitted in court as evidence and denied Warner's request for a retrial. In February 1993... Does it matter? You're still going to die for the other one. four out of five, man, if they even took it back. In February 1993, Warnos pled guilty to the murder of Antonio and was sentenced to death again. She got six. Oh my, six she's getting there. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Symes, as his body was never found. And all what the heck? She, she wanted seven, man. His body was never found. He, sh- she should have put it right on show. <laughs> so she told uh, several inconsistent stories about the killing. She claimed initially that all seven men had raped her while she was working as a prostitute. The leader recanted the claim of self-defense, citing robbery and a desire to leave no witnesses as the reason for murder. During an interview with filmmaker Nick Broomfield, she thought the cameras were off. She told them that, in fact, it was self-defense, but she could not stand being on death row where she had been for 10 years at that point and wanted to die. So basically, she said it was self-defense. It's exactly why she did all of these on camera and that she just made it sound violent and that she was just robbing them. Uh, so she could die faster, because she's been on death row for 10 years. So, assessing the psychopathy checklist, Warno scored 32 out of 40. The checklist evaluates uh, individuals on a 20-item list of antisocial and interpersonal behaviors, with each item being scored a 0, 1, or 2, and thus a maximum score of 40. Depending on location and research, prospective scores above 25 or 30 are consistent with the diagnosis of psychopathy. Score. Cool. <laughs> she got a 32 out of 40. Only eight things. <laughs> yeah. Execution. Again, though, like, with her past life, I know some people I, are, I like, born see... being psychopaths, but with her past life and, and just, how, like, like how her she life chose to led, live it after that, yeah. I could see they're definitely... Well, and she's got borderline personality disorder. Which can't help. As well as antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. So those mixed together with a shitty backstory kind of make for a psychopath. Yeah, I guess so. So, she was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections Broward uh, Correctional Institution, BCI, Death Road for Women, then transferred to the Florida State Prison for execution. Her appeal to to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996. In a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. I killed those men, she wrote. Robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything, because I'd kill again. I'd hate... I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing she's crazy stuff. Uh, I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one of... I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. Oh. (laughs) She was just like, I wanna die. That's all I hear in this, is like, I just wanna die. I'm really tired of being alive on this. Well, there's no way they're going to take back the Well, the thing is, is so. if the law changes, they can give her a life sentence instead of a death sentence. Because if that law changes, whoever's on death row just has life in jail. Mm. While her attorney, attorneys argued that she was not mentally competent to make such a request, Warnus insisted that she knew what she was doing, and a court-appointed panel of psychiatrists agreed. Uh, in 2002, hey, we were born by then. Well, I was born by the first one, but... Like, the last one that you said. Yeah, so was I. Uh, Warnos began accusing prison matrons of tainting her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. She said she had overheard conversations among prison personnel trying to get me so pushed over the brink that I'd, by them, I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before execution. She also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling in distaste and pure hatred towards me. 
She threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were on duty. In the meantime, my stomach's growling away, and I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. Her attorney said that Miss Warnos really just wants to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until the day she's executed. He added, she believes what she's written. In the weeks before her execution, she gave a series of interviews to Broomfield. She depicts being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond, uh, beyond the beyond. In her final interview, she once again charged uh, that her... Yeah, charged that her mind was tortured at BCI and her head crushed by sonic pressure. Food poisonings and other abuses worsened. She said each time she complained that the goal of making her appear insane or to drive her insane. She also turned on her interviewer. You sabotaged my ass. Society and the cops and the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Oh my god. Don Botkins, a childhood friend of Warnos, later told Burnfield that her verbal abuse was directed at society and the me- media in general, not at him specifically. Warnos' execution took place on October uh, 9th, uh, 2002. She died at 9.47 a.m. Uh, I don't know, EDT time. I don't know. Uh, Eastern, it's not Eastern yeah. Standard Time. No. It's Eastern something time. EDT time, whatever. Uh, she declined her last meal, which could have been anything under $20, and opted for a cup of coffee instead. Her last words were, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back. Like Independence Day with Jesus. Oh my god. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since 1976. United States Supreme Court decision restoring capital punishment. Whoa. So, yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. She killed a bunch of people, had a really shitty back life, and uh, then spent uh, 10 to 12 years in death row, where she was like, I think everybody's trying to kill me. I just want to die. Please. (laughs) Please. Whoa. That's just like, she did not have a good life. (laughs) Her life was shit. And then they made movies out of it. Aw, that's And TV shows, because she's on... Uh, American Horror Story, they have a movie yeah. about her, like, they wrote books and shit using stuff about her, like, that's why she's like, thanks, me, like, thanks, society, for railroading my ass. Because that's exactly what they did. Hmm. And I like that she's like, I'll be back with Jesus on Independence Day, June 6th, black shit and all. I'll be back, motherfuckers. I'll be back. <laughs> she's like, I will tell you exactly what time I'm coming back to slap your ass for this shit. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Oh my god. So, do you know the story of Jean Benet Ramsey? Uh, I feel like I know some of it, but I can't say for certain. I'll tell you in the middle of this when I figure out if I do or not. <laughs> you probably do. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, six year old Jean Benet Ramsey is killed in her Boulder, Colorado home. John and Patsy, her parents called police. Sorry, John and Patsy are her parents. They called police at 5.52 the following morning to report their daughter missing and a ransom note for $118,000 was found. Yeah, I know what this is, but keep going. The police searched the house and mishandled the evidence before asking the parents to search the home as well in case their daughter might be hiding somewhere inside. John goes into the hidden basement, and John Bonet's body is found under a blanket in the afternoon. <laughs> so literally, they're like standing outside. The police are st- searching the home. They ask him to go in. The first place he checks, and she's there. Wow. <laughs> she was beaten and strangled with tape over her mouth and her hands. My computer didn't want to work. Uh, her hands tied together with a cord. 
there were also signs of sexual assault, but the Boulder detectives allowed evidence to be mishandled when John removed his daughter's body from the basement. So he took the tape off of her mouth as well and, like, picked her up and took her out of the basement. And it was like, here she is. And they were like, oh. <laughs> okay. Cool. I, I feel like you have a lot of stories that you do where the police just really fuck it up for everyone. Yeah, I'm sorry, police officers. I don't paint you in a good light. <laughs> you really don't. They mishandle evidence in the last episode. They mishandled evidence in this one. Well, they've, I think they've mishandled evidence in, like, every episode that I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> there were no signs of an intruder, and suspicion of the murder fell on the family. The ransom note seemed especially suspicious to authorities. Not only did the strangely specific amount of the ransom note matched the exact amount of John's bonus from work, but the note had been written on paper found in the Ramsey home and was unusual, unusually wordy, meaning the killer had to take the time to write the note whilst in the house with the rest of the family. So the fact that John and Patsy failed to cooperate with the investigation fueled speculation about their guilt. It was also widely known that Jean Benet participated in beauty pageants, which required her to wear heavy makeup and sophisticated clothing, which led to the idea that maybe the killer was a fan of hers. Huh. Uh, the investigation into the murder continued for more than two years, but on October 1999, the grand jury hearing evidence in the case was finally dismissed with no recommendation for filing charges. Yeah. In 2006, former school teacher John Mark Carr was arrested after confessing to the murder, but his DNA didn't match samples found on the body, and he was released. Why do you admit to that when you don't do it? I don't understand. I think some people are bribed into admitting stuff like that, and some people just want their 15 minutes of fame. But as a, like, murder rapist? <laughs> well, if you watch a lot of crime shows, which I know are not actual depictions of society and life and all that, but a lot of people who are copycat killers of serial killers yeah, yeah, really or like claim to be the copycat or the killer really want to be known as doing some creepy ass shit. <laughs> so there were like several other speculations. Uh, one is that the brother of Jean Benet killed her Damn. because there were pineapples in her stomach when she was found and the boy had been eating pineapples that night and they think he took a baseball bat in like a fit of rage and like beat her over the head with it and the family kept silent and hid the body so that like both of their children wouldn't be gone you stole my pineapples well he's had so apparently he's had like different bats like that in the bouts is what i meant to say bouts like that in the past so he he has a, a violent streak in him Yes. And then other people think John did it. Some people... So everybody, it seems, think that, like, thinks that Patsy knows who did it. Uh, because, so I believe... Oh, I don't, I don't remember exactly which. One of the parents remarried to another person that also lost their child. And their child was murdered. Oh? Yeah, I'm not sure why. Why would you do that? You're like... It's like on your Tinder profile. Who are you looking for? I'm looking for people who have their children murdered, specifically with a baseball bat with pineapples. <laughs> and it's like, why are you? Why are you? Why is that specific? So the case has never been solved since then, but has inspired episodes of different criminal shows, such as Bones. I've seen that episode so too. Why? It's why I know what this is. Um. Uh, yeah, and that's Jean Benet Ramsey. 
So they they really don't know who did it. Yeah, they have no idea. Uh, yeah. Lots of people, though, like the media and like non-professional people think that the parents or the brother did it's, it. It's some family sort of thing because nobody just like is like, where would she be? Looks in the basement, found her. Like fucking found. Right? Like nobody, nobody does that. Why would you, why would you ever let that happen? Well, and also why would you like, if the family killed them, you, my thought is like, if the family killed her, why to did they call look, the police? To make it look like they didn't Saying do she it. was missing. Well, because that's a really good way to cover your tracks technically. But with a ransom note written from paper and pen from their house I think for that's, a very that was specific them, amount. I feel like that was somebody not really thinking it through. But They're I think like, oh what my it God, was we just is, killed her. Ah. I think it was kind of like that. So that way they made it seem like she's missing, there's a ransom note, and then wow, she's in the basement, what the fuck? Kind of get their trail off of it, but... Mm-hmm. And it was obviously really wordy. Like, nobody's gonna sit there and write a fucking three-page essay on I That's would. another thing, is that I've seen different, like, versions of it. Some, like, some sources say that it was, like, a page, and some say it was, like, three pages of, like, a ransom note. And I'm like, how can a ransom note be three pages? It could literally be a paragraph. I have your child. I want this amount. Meet me here. Yeah. It could be a sentence. Like, it doesn't need to be three pages long. But when, I think when you're panicking and you're trying to really make it seem like you didn't do it. You write a three-page essay? <laughs> can you write mine if you can write it in one night? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Please? Okay, your turn. So I... Sorry, I did one that you knew. Uh, so I'm doing Frederick or Fred West and Rosemary West. Uh, they're a married duo of serial killers and serial rapists who killed at least a dozen young British girls, including several of their own kids. Oh, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> they went under the alias of Fred, Rose, and Dozy Rosie. What? <laughs> okay. Right. I don't know. Great I, I choice, know. guys. Phenomenal. So, the, so, Fred's background, he was born in a small town of Much Markle in Here, Herefordshire, he was the second of six children of Walter Stephen West and Daisy Hannah Hill. By Fred's own account, sexual abuse of various kinds were common in the household. He claimed his father had sexual relationships with his daughters and taught him uh, bestiality, which is sex with animals. It had been suspected that Fred's mother started sexually abusing him when he was 12, though he never admitted to it and it has, and it has never been confirmed like the stories about his father. Neither of Fred's claims... That he also engaged in incest and even impregnated one of his sisters. That's freaky. Regardless, Fred and his mother were very close. When he was physically punished for doing badly in school, where he showed some aptitude at woodwork and artwork, his mother, who was obese and often dressed unattractively, often (laughs) went to his school in person to yell at the teachers for doing so. Fred left school at the age of 15, even though he was almost illiterate and got a job as a farmhand. He, when he was 16, his look improved. Basically, he got more attractive. At the age of 17, he was in a motorcycle accident that put him in a coma for a week and led to him having a metal plate operated into his head and breaking one of his legs so badly it was permanently shorter than the other. Aww. Afterward, Stumpy leg. He, he got a bad temper and often had violent bursts of anger. Two years after the accident, his uh, he hurt his head yet again when he was struck when he stuck his hand up a girl's skirt and she pushed him down from a fire escape. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> he fucking deserved it. 
When he was 19, he was convicted of molesting a 13-year-old girl, even though he didn't serve any jail time because his doctor said he suffered from epileptic fits. Oh? Afterwards, he was sent to live... That somehow, like, excuses you from jail? Right. Afterwards, he was sent to live with his sister and was practically disowned by the rest of his family. Was this the sister he impregnated or the Probably. other one? <laughs> because, I mean, that's weird. So, yes, gotta... the form of punishment is to send him back with his sisters who he had sex with. Right. <laughs> he got a job in construction but was fired for stealing from his workplace. When he was 21, his family. Stealing what? Was... Bricks? Right? Like, he's too stupid to steal money. When he was 21, his family let him back into their lives and he moved back to Munchmarkle, where he resumed a, re- a romantic relationship with an ex girlfriend. Totally thought I was going to say his mom, and I was like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Kathleen Reyna. Pretty sure that's Catherine. Ka- yeah, Catherine Reyna Costello, who had been a petty thief when they first dated and moved on to prostitution. Score. <laughs> Though Reyna was already pregnant with the child of a Pakistani man, they married and kept the child. Good to know. To explain why the baby was half Asian, Fred had Raina write to her parents and say that the baby had died in childbirth and that her child, a girl she named Charmaine Carol, was adopted. <laughs> that poor girl's name. They married in November, only two months after getting back together, and moved to Scotland. <laughs> okay. Fred demanded sex from Raina daily and wasn't too interested in regular sex. The couple had a child of their own in July of 1964, a daughter daughter named Anne Marie. During their rocky marriage, Fred worked as an ice cream truck driver, a job that gave him plenty of access to available young women. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought first. (sighs) Their life in Scotland came to an end when Fred accidentally (laughs) ran over a four-year-old boy with his truck. Accident? I mean, come on. How accident can it be? Though the accident wasn't his fault. Fred moved with his family as well as... Uh, he's, uh, Isa McNell, who took care of their children, and Anna McFall, a friend of Costello, to Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire, England get better city names, where he got a job uh, at a slaughterhouse. When her marriage finally collapsed, Costello went back to Scotland alone, but came back in July of 1966 because she missed her daughter, only to discover that Fred had started a relationship with McFall. In 19... So, basically, he started a relationship with the nanny. Okay. In 1967, McFall became pregnant with Fred's child and tried to get him to divorce Costello. In response, he killed and dismembered and buried her. Did she already have her baby? Nope. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Costello finally left Fred a few months later, leaving their children with him. Of course. Because what else would you do? Fred is dis- uh, Fred is suspected to have killed again in January of 1968 when 15-year-old Mary Bassfulm was disappeared from a bus stop. After the death of his mother in February, Fred started committing a lot of petty thefts and changed jobs a lot. It was during a, stink as a, a stint as a bakery truck driver that he met his future wife and accomplice, Rosemary Letts. So now we're going to go to her backstory. Uh, she was born as Rome- Rosemary Letts uh, in Devon, England in 1953. Her household was troubled and abusive. Why are all serial killers, like, abused or have some really fucked up background? Like, I want a really clean, like, even Steven person to become a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Good to know. Her father, Bill Letts, was a schizophrenic who constantly disciplined her, her siblings, and her mother, Daisy. While Daisy had been pregnant with Rosemary, she had received electroconvulsive therapy as a treatment for her severe depression. Okay. They electrocuted a pregnant woman. 
<laughs> That's fuck? great for the baby. <laughs> Growing up, Rosemary was sexually abused by her father. Because she wasn't very bright and a bit overweight, she was often teased and resta- responded by attacking her bullies aggressively. I mean, what else That's are you going to do? That's one way to do it, girl. That's one way. When she was a teenager, she became over- more sexually active and was even caught getting into bed with one of her young brothers and sexually fondling him. Uh, I assume, like... <laughs> was he like against this or like uh, caught as in he was asleep and she, like she was just there like tickling his dick or like he was like he a feather or, or he was like fully conscious at this point that's that's what i want to know that's the question i have because of her overweight figure and her father's rules prevented her from dating boys her own age it's so basically because she's fat and her father said no nobody likes her and she's wow. forced to have sex with her brothers. She pursued relationships with older men where she lived. One of them took advantage of her and raped her. Wow. This is a sad life. <laughs> I mean, granted, she was weird before that, but okay. When Rosemary was 15, her mother finally had enough of her husband's abuse, took Rosemary, and moved in with one of her adult wow. daughters and her husband. Like 15 years too late, my friend. <laughs> I like that her mom moved in with one of her older daughters. I would hate to have that conversation with my husband. So my mom's moving in with my daughter, like with her, with my sister, who's kind of weird and chubby. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Keep your dick in your pants and <laughs> seal it tightly while she's here. She right. might climb into bed with you at night. Oh, God. <laughs> Tickle it with a feather. <laughs> Rosemary started spending even more time with male companions. Later the same year, Rosemary surprisingly like, moved back in with her father. Does her mom, like, not have anything to say about this? Or oh, is her God. mom just like, yeah, whatever, go ahead? I don't know. Not long afterwards, she met Fred West, who was 12 years her senior. That's yeah, not too bad, though. In spite of the way he had treated her, Rosemary's father strongly objected to her seeing Fred and even went to a trailer park where he lived with his two daughters and threatened him. He threatened Fred. This is a picture of them. I see that. She's not very chubby. Like, I don't know what, why people didn't like her besides her weird family and brother fetish. Yeah, I don't know. He had a sister fetish. They went well together. <laughs> right. You look like my sister. Let's fuck. Uh, <laughs> while Fred did several stint, uh, stints in jail for thefts and also failures to pay his fines for previous offensive, Rosemary became pregnant with his child, a girl named Heather, who took care of his children on her own. Because of her temper problems and her resentment about caring for children who weren't hers, she often treated her de facto stepdaughters badly. Not surprised. <clears throat> really not. In the summer of 1971, Rosemary apparently snapped completely and killed Charmaine. Oh. Which is the little Asian girl who's not even his. Yeah, it's not even his kid, yeah. After severing the body's fingers and toes, oh, uh, Fred buried it under the, their kitchen floor. Why would you take the fingers and toes? In August of 19... 19- Just to bury it under your floor. Like, I'm confused. I, I don't understand, as well as decaying body smells horrible. In August of 1971, Costello disappeared when she came looking for Charmaine. Because her body was found to have its fingers and toes cut off when it was discovered... Fred is suspected to have been the killer. Though they mar- my, my my thought though is that she came back for Charmaine, but none of her other children. She well, was like, she only I only want kid. Charmaine. Well, the other kid is his though. Charmaine is not. So if she really didn't want anything to do with him, she would just take the one that's not his. Yeah, but still, how mean. I mean, when you really don't want to be in somebody's life or like want any part of them take the kid that's not theirs (laughs) 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 just that is so so mean okay continue (laughs) 
Though they married on January 29th of 1972, Fred encouraged Rosemary to have sex with other men, both for money oh. and for fun. Oh. He often watched her through a peephole. Uh. He also took erotic pictures of her and posted them in Swinger magazines as ad for prostitution. In June of 1972, they had another daughter together, Mae West. <laughs> In order May you head west, away <laughs> from this family. In order to make room for their expanding family and Rosemary's business of prostitution, they moved to 21... They uh, moved. They moved. They moved. To, <laughs> <laughs> they moved to 25 Cromwell Street, where they carried out their rapes and murders. Oh. Rosemary continued working as a prostitute from their home in a room fitted with peepholes for Fred's to, for Fred to oh use, God. and a red light outside that would be lit to tell children not to enter. At least they had a, a system there. <laughs> the light is red, don't go. <laughs> Over the following years, she gave birth to seven more children. <laughs> oh my god. Of which only three were friends. <laughs> <laughs> of which only three were friends. Another may have been conceived by Rosemary and her own father. Uh, who kept engaging in instant, incest. In, incest. Intestinal tracts. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Engaging in incest with her even after she gave birth to her fourth child. That's that's fucking gross. You moved for a reason. The other three, whom were of mixed race, were all fathered by her clients. You got a bunch of Asian kids, one black kid, and the rest are just really weird looking. <laughs> Really like, weird looking whites. Well, because it's direct incest. You know, some of them kids yeah. did not have a few fingers, toes, or brain. <laughs> I wonder oh, how God. many of kids were like, had a birth defect. <laughs> That's what I want to know. How many of those kids were fondling each other because their parents did that? <laughs> oh, God. Aww. That's a fucked up household. <laughs> well, I mean, she went into her younger brother's rooms to tickle dicks. She might have done that to her own kids. Who knows? <laughs> In October 1972, Fred and Rosemary hired a young woman named Caroline Owens to work for them as a nanny for their children. <laughs> she walked in and went, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> they kept making sexual advances on her, but she declined every time. Good job. One night in December, after they both unsuccessfully tried to seduce her, she tried to leave, only to be held captive overnight. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> when Fred let, threatened to let some of his friends have her and that he would then kill her, she complied. The next day, she was released. They're like, we just want to have sex. And she's like, no. And they're like, okay, we will let my friends have you, and then I'll kill you. And she's like, okay, now we can have sex. Because that's kind of overrated. <laughs> and then they just let her go. <laughs> Though she pressed charges, Fred was able to convince the court that the act she was forced into had been consensual. So he and Rosemary were instead only fined $50 for indecent assault. <laughs> it's still assault. What the I'm charging you $50. It's still called assault. What the? Over the next six years, they killed at least eight young women who had made their way to 25 Chrome Street as lodgers or employers together. Or employees. Yeah. The first one was uh, Linda Goh, a seamstress the West knew personally. Next was Carol Ann Cooper, who disappeared while walking home from a movie theater. In December, Lucy Catherine... Partington disappeared from a bus stop while on her way home after Christmas. She was murdered by Fred and Rosemary, who abducted her, held her captive for over a week over New Year, raped her, tortured her, and then killed her. On January 3rd, Fred was treated for a laceration, which is believed to have been inflicted when he dismembered Part Partington. He went to the hospital. He's like, I cut my hand real bad. Yeah, Where are you oh cutting? Wood. <laughs> God. 
1974 to 1979. Mm-hmm. Five more women. Uh, Therese. Oh, my fuck. You have a weird last Therese. Name. Yeah. Therese. Singenthaler. Sing- Singenthaler. <laughs> Shirley, <laughs> Shirley Hubbard. Hubbard. Juanita Marion Mott. Shirley Ann Robinson and Allison Chambers met the same fate. It's unknown if the West killed more than a- more over the following years. If they did, which is not improbable, the bodies weren't buried on their property. Some of the girls are known to have been abducted, raped, and then released. What the fuck? Just just kill them all if you're going to go for it. Just kill them all. <laughs> okay, no, those people are probably happy to be alive. You know, not happy with being raped, but probably happy to still be living. If you're going to go for it, you got to go all home for it. Oh, my goodness. That's a lie, please. If you're thinking of killing somebody, just just slap them and walk away. It's the better choice. You you won't be on this show later. Or just don't commit assault at all. It's better than murder. And leave the poor animals alone. Yeah, don't touch you, the animals. They always start there. Leave the well, unless they're fondling children, then they don't. But leave, leave children and animals alone. <laughs> leave, just leave everybody alone. Okay. <laughs> be antisocial. It's the best way to get out, get through life. <laughs> While committing murders, Fred also sexually sexually abused Anne-Marie West. It's like, do I need to say this with you? Like, do I need to read this story with you so that Probably. you got it? His daughter from his relationship with uh, Reina Costello. She eventually became pregnant, but the pregnancy had to be terminated because it occurred in her fallopian tube. She got pregnant in a small tube. Yeah. That sucks. There was a person pacing outside on the sidewalk, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Oh? You just walked by the tree. Okay. When she left home, he started abusing Heather West, who was conceived by Rosemary and her, possibly her own father. I almost said possibly her fallopian tube. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. It was conceived between her and her own fallopian tube. <laughs> And one of his own daughters, Mae West, Fred disposes of the victims by burying them under the garage of the house or in the garden. To cover up the frequent burials, he pretended to be doing regular home improvement. In order to afford the supplies needed, he frequently stole and fenced the loot. I like that they're loot. (laughs) Even though he was often brought to the police's attention for this reason, his killings went unnoticed. The next couple... uh, Sorry, the couple. Yeah, it keeps getting messed up. The couple came close to being exposed in 1986 when Heather told her friends about the abuse she suffered. In June of the next year, Fred and Rosemary strangled her to death to silence her. Well, <laughs> she was then dismembered and buried in the garden. You will make lovely tulips. I hate tulips. That's exactly why she's tulips. <laughs> because I hate them. <laughs> the West were finally exposed in May of 1992 when Fred videotaped himself raping one of his daughters. And, uh, anytime you catch anything on camera, man, it's what gets you fucked over, okay? See, my my thing is that, like, I don't understand how Rosemary was okay with her children being murdered. Well, some people don't always have a mom complex, though. I mean, I guess, but she had, like, seven kids. Yeah, but that doesn't make her a mom. I guess, okay. But that's also, like, she resented his children, so I'm thinking she just resented all children at that point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, we'll go with that. Uh, when she told her friends, one of them reported the West to the police. The investigative... Good job. The investigating officer, Hazel Savage, that's a really cool last name. Yes, it is. Had heard of Fred while he was in a relationship with Raina Costello. When another girl raped by Fred came forward, the police obtained a search warrant. 
In August, they searched the house for evidence of child abuse. Fred was arrested for rape and sodomy of a minor, and Rosa was arrested as an accomplice. While they were being processed, their younger children were placed in the care of the government. While Fred was in custody, Rosemary became depressed, oh, <laughs> and even attempted suicide once, but was saved by one of her sons. Unfortunately, the rape case fell apart when the victims backed out. Meanwhile, Savage became increasingly suspicious of the West's past and disappearance of Heather and the results of the interviews of the West children, especially that they had been threatened by Fred that they would be buried under the patio like Heather. She was able to obtain another search warrant to have the property dug up. The task was simplified when Heather confessed in- No, when Fred confessed, Heather is dead. <laughs> in custody. When human bones started cropping up, Fred confessed to having committed the murders alone in order to protect Rosemary. However, he would not admit to raping any of his victims, saying they had wanted to have sex with him. Soon enough, the bodies of Anne McFall and Charmaine West turned up as well. Seeking to protect herself, Rose cut off all contact with her husband. On December 13, 1994, he was charged with a dozen counts of murder. On New Year's Day, he, he hanged himself in his cell at Winson Green Prison with a knotted bedsheet. His body was cremated and his funeral unattended, except for five of his children. Why would they go? I would like to see the bitch burned. Yeah, but its he was already burned. This isn't like, this is just his funeral. Maybe to make sure he's actually dead. We don't know. Rose was also put on trial in the end, first for rape and then for murder as well. She never confessed to any murders, and the evidence against her was largely, largely circumstantial. An important witness was Janet Leach, Fred's uh, appropriate adult, who revealed that Fred had told her that Rose has been involved in the murders and even killed Charmaine West and Shirley Robinson on her own. On November 22, 22nd of 1995, Rose was found guilty of 10 murders and sentenced to life in prison. She, was never, she will never be released. Though she maintains her innocence, she announced in 2001 that she will not try to appeal her conviction. In 1996, uh, 25th Cromwell Street was completely demolished and the site turned into a pathway. So, yeah. Wow, that was, like, lots of turns and twists there. Yeah, these are pictures and stuff of the daughter. Uh, but they... Uh, and also, these people are on Criminal Minds. Uh, in Season 1, the episode Riding the Lightning, as well in Season 5, A Thousand Words. Uh, they're mentioned. So. There's that. Oh, I just, like... I don't know if I can follow that up. That was, like, real bad. <laughs> that was, uh, quite interesting. It's a twist and turns kind of thing. So I'm sure you know of the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> uh, which is funny, because this is the first picture you see when I pull up <laughs> yes. my computer. Uh, the Exorcist <coughs> was a cultural phenomenon upon its release in 1973. It was based on William Blatty's novel about a young girl possessed by a demonic force and famously shocked audiences across the globe. A part of the media frenzy was related to the curse surrounding the movie and its series. Production of the movie was riddled with problems from the start. As shooting began in 1972, the set used the home of Regan McNeil, and the house burned down when a bird flew into a circuit box. <laughs> the only part to remain untouched by the flames was the room used for filming the actual exorcism scenes. Oh my god, Satan actually lives there. Then, actors Jack McGowan and Vas Vasiliki Malia Rose, whose characters die in the movie, both died shortly after shooting Wrapped. Linda Blair and Max von Sydow lost members of their family while the movie was being shot. 
The son of Jason Miller, who plays Father Damien, was nearly killed in a motorcycle accident, and Blair and the Ellen Burstyn both suffered... Sorry, and the Ellen and Ellen Burstyn both suffered serious injuries during production due to falls on set. God. This curse was also said to have followed the movie on its release into cinemas on Boxing Day 1973. As the film began, lightning crashed out of the sky and struck the church opposite the cinema <laughs> several times, oh is what God. I read. One old woman, while watching the film, passed out and broke her jaw, for which she sued the studio. How do you hit your, I don't hair, know. your head so hard you break your damn jaw? Some went so far as to claim that the very celluloid of the film itself was cursed and that it contained subliminal messages. I've seen this movie. It's a good movie. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I I've feel never like we, seen it. We have to watch it after this, then, because you know what? It's a good-ass movie. Also, so, is there a scene in, like, The Exorcist where they're in, like, a hospital? Uh, I want to say yes. Well... Was it like, oh, maybe it wasn't this. Uh, it was like a different movie in the Exorcist like series. Da, 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 da. Live well, research. Well, because there's the Exorcist. There's like a show, The Exorcist, but there's movies. The Exorcist, let's do movies. <laughs> Movies in order. In chronological order. So there's The Exorcist, The Exorcist 2, 3. Okay, uh, well, anyways. There's there's a lot. There's The there's, Exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, but they're talking about this one. There's one where there's, like, a doctor involved, like, radiology, and they go to an actual hospital for it, and they ask, like, an actual radiology nurse to participate and that nurse was a serial killer. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's just a very phenomenal part. But yeah, now we have to watch The Exorcist. So we're only an hour and 25 in. Good thing I have the 10 craziest mental asylums. I actually have another piece. Okay, I want to hear this other piece, and then I'm going to tell you a little bits and facts about 10 craziest mental asylums in America. Do you know who Ed Gein is? I do. Do you know his story? Uh, I know part of it, but I, I don't know enough, I want to say. Okay. Because I feel like I was going to do him once, so I know a little bit, but I don't know enough to really say that I know what's going on. Ed Gein was born August 27th, 1906 in Plainfield, Wisconsin. He endured a difficult childhood because his father was an alcoholic and his mother was verbally abusive toward him. Nevertheless... He idolized her, and it concerned his older brother, Henry. Uh, I of would be real concerned if I, like, screamed at someone, and they're like, oh, my God, I love you. Yeah, and Henry he... Henry felt concerned. Henry occasionally confronted their mother in Ed's presence. Oh. In 1944, Henry died in a fire near the family's farm in, under mysterious circumstances. Ed totally set his brother on fire. <laughs> Although Gein reported Henry missing to the police, he was able to lead them directly to the burned body when they arrived. The police looked over the scene, and despite bruises discovered on Henry's head, the death was ruled an accident. <laughs> he fell and spontaneously combusted. I don't know what to tell you. Like, what? <laughs> he fell and spontaneously combusted. The death of Gein's mother in 1945 left him a virtual hermit. He oh. cordoned off the areas of the house that his mother had used most frequently, preserving them as a shrine. Oh, God. This guy's creepy. 
Yeah, because a shrine's always the best idea. In 1957, a hardware store owner named Bernice Warden went missing. Gina had been seen with her shortly before her disappearance, and when law enforcement officials visited his farm, they found her body. She had been fatally shot and decapitated. Examinations of Gein's home showed that he had systematically robbed graves and collected body parts, which he used to make household items, clothing, and masks. (laughs) Someone's stomach is a mask right now. A head was also discovered and belonged to a tavern operator who disappeared in 1954 named Mary Hogan. What the fuck? So, first of all, what I wanted to tell you about this that is so amazing is that he did this to dress up as his mother. He wore his mother's dresses. I remember this. And created masks out of women flesh faces to be his mom. Yeah. Isn't there a movie on this, dude? Yes, I'll I get think there. I've seen this. Yach, you have because I watched it with you. Uh, Gein admitted to killing the two women, both of whom allegedly resembled his mother, but pled not guilty by a reason of insanity. <laughs> so yes, I did do it, but I'm insane, so therefore I'm not guilty. I also like the fact that he he knows he knows that he's fucking crazy. So in late 1957, he was deemed unfit for trial and was subsequently confined in various psychiatric institutions. In 1968, it was determined that he could participate in his own defense, and Gein was put on trial. He was found guilty of killing Warden reportedly due to financial reasons, but then was deemed insane at the, tam- at the time of the crime. <laughs> I was temporarily insane. I don't know what you want me to do. He returned to a mental hospital where he remained until his death in 1984. Oh my god. <laughs> so he was never, like, officially really convicted for anything. But we all know he did it. Yeah. Gein inspired numerous books and movies, being Psycho in 1960, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974, and The Silence of the Lambs 1991. Damn. Yep. Damn, damn, damn. I also have some updates about some past murders that we talked about. Sweet. One being the Black Dahlia. The case was solved. Yay! Um, I feel like I should have looked this up before I told you this, because I don't know their names. Uh, That's okay. It's not important. Yeah, they found out that through DNA that this man killed her. This dude killed her. Yeah. And it was just, like, kind of random. <laughs> he didn't really know her that well. He just, like, killed her. Wonderful. And then... Oh, there was something else. Um... The we haven't really discussed this. Uh, we haven't like said this in an episode at least. The girl that was kidnapped and murdered around here. What was her name again? Haley Owens. Yeah. So Haley Owens. Uh, how many years ago? Like two. Uh, two or three. Yeah. Uh, two or three years ago, a girl named Harry. Harry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Named Haley Owens. Uh, was kidnapped on her way to school, and she lived literally up the road from here. Like, she was kidnapped up the road from my house. It was two years ago, yeah. And... Or, no, it, it was fucking five years ago. Oh, wow. It just feels like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, so, basically, she was walking up to her, like, bus stop for school. Oh. Keep, keep going. I'm, I'm learning new things. Well, I know these things. I'll tell you. Don't read. Well, no, you know about that? 
No, that's a weird headline. Stepfather yes. of Haley Owens. I will I will tell them this because I just found this out. Keep going. Okay. Uh, she was walking to the school and a truck came up and was like the driver was apparently like asking her for direction. She came up to the truck. The person pulled her in through the window and drove away. Several people tried to stop the truck, like running after it and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it didn't help. And she was murdered not long after that. And it turned out to be a teacher of hers. And what grade was she in? She was in like middle, intermediate, something like that. Her sister went. She was 10. Oh, her sister went to our school, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, her her sister sister went to our school, but, um, she's 10. So she's in, she's not, she's not in middle school at all. She's maybe intermediate school at, at the, so she's maybe like. Hold on. Age, age, age and grades. <laughs> age equivalent. I forgot how to... <laughs> <laughs> Griffs. Grades. Um, so she... What, 13 is 8, 12 is 7. She was maybe in 5th or 6th grade. Oh. Well, her sister went to our school, so we knew about this when it happened because we had a whole and maybe wear pink for well, Haley yes. Owens at our school. Yeah, uh, I remember wearing pink for a really long time, even though I, I was an emo kid. So, yes. Yeah, and so it was her teacher, and she was raped and murdered, and he recently was uh, sentenced to death. Yep. Which yes, is about time, in my opinion, but... Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it was Craig Wood. Yeah. And right up the road where she was kidnapped, they put... So there was already a park there, but they added, like, an installation to it for Haley Owens. Uh, And it's just... It's weird because it was something that happened so close to where I live, but it seems, like, so far away. Yeah. Granted, there was a time as well... So you're going to get more on on this, but uh, there was a time as well when... I don't know, like, there was a rapist in, the, in like, in my neighborhood, and we weren't allowed to get off the bus and walk home by ourselves. We had to go in pairs because there was, like, a real threat of us being kidnapped and raped. And I was like, this isn't cool because my bus driver would let me walk down the street alone because the only person that was on my bus stop was usually never there. <laughs> so instead of passing... So this bus driver always passes my house to leave so instead of just dropping me off at my driveway they would drop me off up the street and just drive past my house and away as i walked to my house with the threat of a rapist around so that was great thank you bus driver so what do you have on this update of Haley owens okay well this is everything you know need to know about the case and then i'll tell you a little bit about her stepfather um i don't give a shit i'm not paying a dollar (laughs) for three months of something so uh she was 10 when she was abducted while walking on a three 3200 block of west lombard street uh in february 18th so right around this time actually uh it'll be what today's the 13th so in five days it'll be the fifth year that she's uh, from the day she was snatched in 2014 police say that the girl was snatched off the street and killed by a stranger quote-unquote stranger, uh, Craig Michael Wood. Her body was allegedly found hours after the abduction wrapped in garbage bags in the basement of Wood's home on East Stanford Street. 
Witnesses told police they saw someone matching Wood's description yank Haley into a truck after asking the girl where Springfield Street was. Wood was, was then charged with murder, kidnapping, rape, sodomy, and armed criminal action. The trial starts Monday. Uh, prosecutors say they will seek the death penalty against Wood if he's convicted of first-degree murder, which he was. Uh, Wood's attorney, Patrick uh, Berrigan. Berrigan, was told the news uh, leader he sent a letter to Greene County Prosecutor Dan Patterson last year saying Wood is willing to plead guilty and spend the rest of his life in prison to avoid the death penalty. Uh, but they're not letting him do that. So her mother, Stacy Barfield, told the n- news leader in April that she would like to avoid a trial and she asked Patterson to assess the plea- uh, to accept the plea deal. Patterson has declined to com- to comment publicly on plea negotiations, uh, citing ethnic rules. Ethic, not ethnic. Eth- uh, ethic rules, sorry. Uh, four days after Haley's death, an estimated 10,000 people marched in a candlelight vigil on Commercial Street in Springfield. I remember this. Yep. The Jefferson Avenue footbridge where the march ended was illuminated in purple, Haley's favorite color. Uh, many in Springfield left their porch lights on in memory of Haley and donated to her uh, memorial fund. A family member described Haley as an absolute ray of sunshine who collected rocks, climbed trees, and liked to spend time with her siblings. Wood worked for Springfield Public Schools as a uh, paraprofessional in, for in-school suspension and a coach at Pleasant View Middle School. He also played mandolin in a bluegrass band. Uh, he took the stand briefly during the pretrial court appearance last year, and during cross-examination, he said he was high on meth during the time frame in which he was accused of uh, abducting and killing Haley. He agreed to an interview with the news leader this spring during which he expressed remorse for his actions and again cited his past meth use. Uh, it just like... <coughs> it's weird because, I mean, talking about the other like crimes that we've gone over, you know, it makes me sad because it's something that happened, but like this like hits home for me because like I knew her sister and like just the whole school was affected because it was somebody that we might not have known like directly but we knew her sister yeah and her sister was like devastated after that oh yeah i think she dropped out didn't she she did uh but yeah it was it was was a, a big deal here where not much happens so yeah so we we talk about death very lightly when it comes to places outside of our own like Um, homes but this was down the street from where i live and and it was just it was very close to all of us yeah and we make a lot of jokes and we talk about these things very lightly but it's never it's never a serious where we're like well they could have done this or why didn't they do that because it's not something to be talked about lightly and we're just making commentary on it for you guys so that it's yeah we're, we're not thinking you know not like, as hard to funny. listen to and it's something that if you can talk about it in a in a lighter sense it makes it a little easier to take when you're talking about it yeah and just for like record the uh like park that they built like the installation they put into the park is completely creepy because it's like literally on the street she was stolen from and it's just like, yeah, have your kids play here where this other kid was kidnapped. What is the installation? Is it? It's just like, so there was already, out, there's a school right there. And outside of the school is like a park slash playground with like a neighborhood right on the other side. And uh, they just like added a like younger kid play area. Mm, okay. But it has like this, it's all in purple and pink. 
And it's got like a little, uh, what are those called? Arc. Like, yeah, like an archway that has her face on it and says Haley Owens, like play area. And it's got like a uh, plaque uh, either in the ground or like on this little pedestal. I can't remember that like describes like not what happened to her, but like this is for her. Yeah. Type of a thing. Um, We're only at 139. <laughs> We've got like two hours to fill. <laughs> After her death, her mother, uh, Barfield, had been focused on passing state legislation known as Haley's Law, which would speed up the Amber Alert system for abducted children, which I think actually did get passed, I want to say. I have no idea. Because I know that I get regular uh, child I do abduction. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't ever really look at them because they're never in, like, a county of ours, but I always make a note. Uh, they're always really weird cars, too. They're not, like, ever normal cars. They're either, like, vans or, like, there was one that I saw that was a bright green Mustang, and I was like, who kidnapped somebody in that? (laughs) Granted, don't kidnap anybody at all, but, you know. Why do it in a very bright color? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I will never kidnap children, because I only have a bright orange and yellow car. (laughs) Right. Uh, This year, which this was back in 2018, I want to say, Barfield got some help from Wood's parents, Jim and Jeannie, who traveled to Jefferson City to promote the bill. So literally Craig's Wood's parents. As Haley's parents, I would have been so pissed. I know it's not their fault necessarily that their son turned out that way. Or you mean as Wood's parents, not Haley's parents? No, I'd be pissed as as Haley's because she's dead. And they're coming to like, I guess in some way apologize, but I'd still be like, you know what? Your kid is alive and mine is dead. Which is going to be fixed at some point. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, not, it's still, it's not he a, got to live a lot longer. Haley was 10. Yeah, and this guy's like, what, 49, I want to say? Like, I had issues at 10, but, I mean, they weren't bad enough to, like, really, you know, like, you want to live a full life, and you, you hope that for younger kids, so it's just, it's harder I, when, I would be pissed It's if harder I were them. when kids die. Like, just, just to that, I would be pissed if I were them. Yes. Uh, the bill was not passed in the most recent legislative season. Oh, that sucks. Uh, another wrinkle in Haley's case is that her once stepfather, Jeff Barfield, was indic- uh, indic- indicted. Indicted? Where Where do you in- see this word? Indic- indicted? Is it indicted? I would say it, w- it should be indicted. But whatever. But yeah. Uh, in February on a federal child porn charge. Great. Uh, he is accused of receiving and dis- uh, distributing child porn between 2002 and 2012. 2012 and 2016. 2012 and 2016. 2016 which that is after her, his uh, daughter died. She died 2014. So still after that, he kept doing that. No, uh, that's before. No, he she died. 2014, and he started before and, and continued, continued after. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a task force investigator told the news leader that Haley was not a victim in Barfield's case. And the alleged crimes are not uh, connected with Haley's abduction. But Haley's Angels logos can still be seen around Springfield and the playground at Westport Elementary School. That's the school, yeah. Yep, where Haley attended has been dedicated to the girl. Yep, she was... It's literally... So that school, the park that had the update, is the street, is the place she was abducted. She was abducted, like, 20 feet from the school. Well, he is a para professional and a teacher like yeah i know but like it's literally right there like i could take you there it is up the street yeah which it's scary 
Because then kids are more often to play there. Yeah, but, I mean... Um, but he was sentenced uh, Tuesday in his federal porn case. Not this Tuesday, but, like, back in December 18th, 2018. Uh, he was 40. He was given seven years in prison after he pl- pled guilty in June to receiving and distributing child pornography. Uh, he gave an explanation for his crimes. He said the reason he looked at child pornography was to make sure there were no photographs of his stepdaughter out on the internet after the girl was kidnapped, raped, and murdered by Craig Wood in 2014. Do you believe it? Part of me says yes, and part of me says no. Part of me wants to, but part of me thinks maybe he was some weird sick fuck. I think it's a little bit of both. Because, I mean, if your daughter had been killed, raped, like, abducted, raped, and killed, like, you would want to see and make sure her body's not out there on the internet. But I don't think that... That was the right way to go about it, if that's what he was doing. Yeah, that just... I don't think that's right. He also admitted to engaging in role-playing online chats with adults who were attracted to children, which he said was his way of convert, uh, covertly trying to learn the true identity of these predators so he could inform, inform law enforcement. Uh, so, as for why he uploaded child porn to a website, Barfield said he did try... try it. He, he said he did it by accident while he was on meth. I didn't have a criminal intent behind what I was doing, he said. Um, he's skeptical. But uh, he has it. <laughs> yeah, but the attorneys are skeptical of, like, his explanation. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, wow. Just So, yeah, I, I know that it isn't necessarily what the family wanted for uh, Haley, but... Yeah, and I'm not sure why they wouldn't want him to be prosecuted, but or like given the death sentence. But for me, I guess living here in my own world of like needing some kind of comfort to know that he's gone, it, it's kind of nice to know that Haley Owens doesn't have to be gone with him still here. Yeah, I think it depends on who you are and how you look at the situation because some people say they want them to live out their life with their decision and that's a torture for them but, but is people, it really because some people don't give a shit and that's the thing is that some people are saying oh well they're doing it because you know that's just their way of getting back at him but really if some people just don't give a shit there's no reason there's no reason to go back and just spend tax money on him just kill him there's no reason f- to have a predator out there that could possibly go back out into the world because a life sentence can, al- can always be shortened it's happened before where someone got a life sentence served three years and got parole so yeah so that would, I'm, I'm happy with the decision i i stand by it i'm not upset by it i don't know anybody that i i could think of that would be upset by it but I wouldn't, if somebody killed my kid, I wouldn't want them to be alive just yeah. to know that they could, they could think about it every day. I don't give a shit. I don't want, I don't want them out there. Doesn't matter if they've changed. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Overall, it just, it makes me so sad. Because, I mean, she was 10 then, and that was five years ago. She would have been 15. She would have just been starting high school. I was 13 when that happened. I was three years older than her, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Basically. So, 
I think that's what was really scary about it too is that everybody was so surprised that it had happened because that kind of thing just doesn't happen around here really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of druggies around here, but like that, kidnapping and murder really... doesn't happen often. Yeah. And the thing is, is that she would have been starting high school this year or she would have been in her high school year. Oh my God. She would have been 15. That is freshman. No, she would have been a sophomore. Yes, because there's four years of high school. And I'm three years older than her. She would have been freshman, sophomore, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But to to think she'd be in school with us. Well, yeah, with us. (laughs) She, we would have been graduating with her being a sophomore freshman. Oh my goodness. That's, that's so sad. Like, like we would have seen her in the halls. Yeah. Oh, now I just feel real sad over all of this. I think it's one of those, (sighs) you don't really think about it until you add the age up. Yeah. You don't ever think about age gaps until you round it down or round it up. That's like, if you think about age gaps between married couples, if you take it back to, like, when they were, like, children, it sounds real creepy. But when they hit the yes. their 20s, it doesn't sound as creepy. Nah, nah. Because it's like, oh, well, I was four when he was 12, and it's like, whoa, whoa. And it's like, oh, I was 20, and he was 28. Or, like, 22, and he was, like, 29. Like, doesn't sound as bad. Taking it to children's age sounds horrible. But, like, when you think about dead people and where they could be and what they could have been and where you could have seen them and interacted with them more is real sad. Yeah. Especially children. To make this more a beat before you go into what I think you're going to go into. Um, I have a surprise for you that is not a solidified surprise as oh. of yet. <laughs> it's a fun surprise if it happens. <laughs> um, well... It's not really a surprise. It's like it is a surprise. It's not really unsolidified. I don't know about it right now. <laughs> I can't. I can't think of how I want to word this. It's not unsolidified. I'm gonna do this eventually with you. It's one of those. It'll happen. We just don't know when. Yes. And I have no idea what she's gonna say. So this is this is great. We're gonna have sex. No. <laughs> oh, <sorry>. Um. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Ranger keeps touching the doorknob with his face. <laughs> um. <laughs> the big surprise right there. Get so. <laughs> That'd be scary. In Eureka Springs, uh-huh. which is like three hours from here. Uh-huh. And I've been there several times. Okay, I've never been there. That's okay. It's really awesome. I need to take you Isn't not even because of this springs? for that. Yes. But that's I've never been to that. But like the town, like the downtown mm-hmm. area is really nice. Um, anyways, there is an old hotel where a lot of people were murdered. And you can go on tours and spend the night. And I would like to, Amber, would you go there with me? Yeah. Score. How, do you know how like much it is to like stay the night there? It's not too much. It's okay. It's like 40. 40 per person? Or yeah. just like per night or what? Uh, per person, I believe. But Honestly, it's not bad. What is your guys' spring break? I will be gone for spring break. That's right. Uh, sometime soon we could actually probably do that. Yes. Be, I literally get paid tomorrow. Yes, we could. And I don't have work Friday. <laughs> and there's like a basement. Let's just where... Valentine's Day go. <laughs> oh my god, yay! Well, I get tax returns sometime soon too. Senior so. skip day! <laughs> Woo! Let's uh, get a creepy shit. <laughs> there's... Oh, we could like vlog in the room and shit. Not vlog, but like do this. Uh, there's usually other people there. In the same room? Yeah. Well, oh, I, you mean staying. I was thinking I was about like, the tour. Yeah, we all sleep together. I was a little freaked out. I was like, I don't... 
Um, but there's like a basement <coughs> morgue where they like dissected these people and there's there were kids that were murdered so basically my sister and her husband went and that's how i know about this it's called the crescent hotel i've heard of it mm-hmm. yeah. and it's not too far from here but road trip three she, hours yeah she was telling me well because there's more to see than just that but megan was telling me so she has a three-year-old son and she was telling me that she's never gonna take him there until he's like an adult because there's a so we all believe in ghosts, like she, her and yeah, his family same. do as well. Um, but there's a child ghost that likes to play with the children that are brought there. Nothing bad happens. Like the kid literally just wants to play. But how creepy is that? And not only that, it's like, what happens when this kid gets mad? Like children throw tantrums. What if this kid gets mad because your kid doesn't want to play and like throws a fucking table at him? Like <laughs> throws a fucking table. You know? <laughs> Love you. So I fuck mean, yourself. I agree with that. Not bringing my nephew with us, but I definitely want to go and get the shit scared out of me because it yeah. definitely will happen. Yeah, I'm. I'm down. I'm definitely here for it. I've also been to the. So this is just. Turn it into story time now. That's okay. I've also been to the Pythian Castle, which is in, I want to say it's like half an hour from here, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Pythian Castle is a place that you can go. First of all, what I didn't get to do that I really want to do is you have like murder mystery night. And I want to do that sometime and an escape room. Okay. We got to do stuff. Anyways. You gotta take a week out of everything and just fucking do it. <laughs> yes. And uh, so basically we went and had dinner there and then they do a tour. So you don't get to spend the night, I don't think, unless it's like the murder mystery night. Or I think maybe you go home later after that. I don't know. Anyways, so we do like a tour and there's a freaking prison in the basement. Oof. And uh, there were lots of dogs there that were murdered. <laughs> And somebody, like, tried to break in and steal shit off of the back docks and stuff. But, like, they take you down to the basement, put you in a cell, and turn the lights off. And I'm like, thank you for this. I really appreciate being left in the dark with ghosts. (laughs) Glad we could do this. You have to take your medicine, though. That's just my thing. That's my only request. Take your shit on time. Okay. Because you have a tendency to not do that. I uh, What she means is that I have panic attacks, and so I have anti-anxiety medicine. Yes. Because <laughs> you tend to not take those. Hey, it's only on weekends, okay? Let me be free on weekends. That's not the one I... No. It's just because I forget, okay? Well, I know this isn't the three hours we promised. Well, I'm not done. I still have the two. Yeah, you have the two. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to talk about these just because there's a little blurb about each of them. So this is the trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Can we switch off then? Yeah, we'll do five. I'll do five. Yeah, we'll do one of each. This is what it looks like. You don't know. You don't see these. Sorry, guys. Yeah, you guys don't get to Um, see this, but but I'm looking at it. This is Weston, West Virginia. The years of operation was 1864 to 1994. This didn't shut down for a really long time. Uh, It was built to house about 250 patients, but by 1949, the hospital had over 2,400 people in its care. Uh, Yeah, that's a bit more over its occupation. Yeah, extra. Uh, Shockingly, overcrowding was the least of the trans uh, Algehenes issues. A 1949 investigation conducted by the Charleston Gazette 
found unruly patients locked in cages, uh, uh, lobotomies being performed with rudimentary instruments such as ice picks and hundreds of neglected patients, conditions that undoubtedly contributed to the tens of thousands of lives the asylum claimed over the years of operation. Amazingly, the institution only came to a close in 1994. Now it's billed as a haunted asylum to paranormal seekers who can stay overnight to see if they summon the courage. So, out of curiosity, because we can do this on video, I guess, if we want to, did you want to do, like, in a day where we have an episode where we talk about the Crescent Hotel and then drive to it? Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun where we drive to it. We, of course... Now I want to do that this weekend. I just want to go, let's go, let's go, but we can't. I don't have work until uh, Sunday. I don't have money, bitch. <laughs> Same here. What's next month? March. Well, yeah. we, we still have to buy cap and gowns and shit. Right, February, well, I've already got mine, man. I haven't got shit. Well, the thing with... I would definitely do it with you next month, but the this is totally not needed in here. But the thing <laughs> is, is that I'm going to go see my brother. So uh, well, I'm saving like that $50 for shit there. But... How about this? Uh, I don't... We don't start college until the fall. So if we can do it before the fall, I'm down, man, Stan. Like during the summer or some shit. Like, I just take a week off work, whatever, Mm -hmm. because then I can have money saved to do this. And you know what we could do? We could take a week off and literally, like, couch hop from, like, the Piffian Castle, the Crescent Hotel, and, like, other haunted stuff around us. (laughs) Okay, so I was was trying to look at, like, how much the Crescent Hotel is, and I was looking at these questions and answers, and there's a question that was, are the ghosts bad or good? Bad as in, will they, like, try to kill you? And the answer was, I've only been killed on one occasion by a Crescent Hotel ghost. (laughs) (laughs) I've only been killed once. (laughs) But you're you're responding to the message. Oh, my God. That was great. I enjoyed it. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, that was phenomenal. I want to die, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then respond to other people's questions about it. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Whew. Okay. Um yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm looking. Okay, I'll do the next Hey, there's I'll free parking. The first five. It's pet friendly. We can bring five. Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> what right. guests love the most? The history, the beautiful setting, and stunning architecture. Okay. <laughs> god. It's already booked six times today. Score. <laughs> Because oh I care so much. Cleanliness, 8.2. <laughs> Value for money, 7.3. That's sad. <laughs> Low score for Eureka Springs. Sorry that you guys are... I'm just, like, reading as I'm looking. Okay, well, if you, like, read yeah, in your go head... Ahead. So I'm going to do the Byberry uh, Mental Hospital, which is in No, no, Byberry. this one's mine. This one's mine. Okay, fucking read it then, ma'am. <laughs> this one's mine. You can have Danvers. Uh, Byberry is in Byberry, Pennsylvania, and it was open from 1907 to 1987. That's 80 years. Thank you for that. <laughs> 36 black and white photographs was all it took to take down Byberry Mental Hospital. Charlie Lord, a conscientious objector assigned to duty at the hospital, compared the word wards to nazi concentration camps this fits you so well excuse me <laughs> describing <laughs> overcrowded conditions where patients were sleeping in their own feces and urine i was right. about to say fleas but that's not right <laughs> the facility was filthy and hundreds of patients were allowed to roam the facility naked i mean like be free if you want yeah. to be free lord's images of the inhumane conditions were published in a 1946 issue of life magazine 
because that's what everybody wants to see when they're going to groceries, and sparked <laughs> widespread reforms of mental health facilities. The pressure of the negative publicity also resulted in downsizing of the hospital and eventually its closure. Thank God for pacif- pacifists with cameras. Okay. <laughs> it's like a really big mansion kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so the Danvers State Hospital is in Danvers, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. Uh, it went from ni- er, 1878 to 1992. That's almost 100 years, man. Uh, so yeah. Danvers State Institution is said to be haunted by uh, malevolent uh, spirits. Despite being in the town formerly known as Salem Village, indeed, on the very ground where prominent judge in the Salem Witch Trials, John Hawthorne, once lived, the paranormal activity is inspired by neither the, neither of these things. Instead, it is human cruelty that's said to motivate unearthly appearances. Danvers' aggressive methods of treatment ranged from the use of straitjackets to shock therapy to full-scale lobotomies. It's no wonder the words here later used as a set for the Demonic Asylum movie, Session 9, uh, Danvers is the stuff of nightmares. Bloomingdale Sane Asylum. It looks like that. The Bloomingdale Insane Asylum uh, was in Morningside Heights, New York City. It was open from 1821 to 1880. 59 years. Stressed out students studying at Columbia University's Well Hall can take solace in the fact that they're not nearly as insane as the building's former occupants. The grounds were once home to the Bloomingdale Lunatic Asylum. Created in 1821... The hospital intended to morally rehabilitate insane patients. This moral management included some unsavory practices that were exposed by journalist Julius Chambers in 1872. With the help of the senior editor of the New York Tribune, Chambers had himself committed to the institution for 10 days. Why would you do that? A lot of people do that, though, to get inside stuff. After emerging, he published a story detailing the inhuman practices at the asylum, including patients who were kicked and choked until they bled, and in some cases driven to suicide by systematic cruelties. The story resulted in the release of 12 patients at the facility who were not mentally ill, and his subsequent book, A Mad World and Its People, led to reform for the rights of the mentally ill. So the Pilgrim Psychiatric Center, which kind of looks like a church, uh, was in Brentwood, New York. It went. Oh, it's still. It's still in operation. Uh, excuse me, sir. Sorry to distract you, but literally, they are $22 each. We could really go, like... It's not to stay the night. It's just the tour. What about the night, though? I, I don't know how to look that up. Give me a sec. <laughs> okay. Um, so it went from 1941 and is still going on today. It still works. Uh, oh, what? Yeah, it's still... Still working. How dare they? Uh, so Pilgrim Psychiatric Center was once the largest hospital, asylum, or otherwise in the world. But that's not what it will be remembered for. Allen Ginsberg's mother treated for schizophrenia there uh, and died there in 1965. But that's not what comes to mind when one mentions Pilgrim either. Its legacy is built upon uh, more unsettling details like the cruel methods Pilgrim's patients endured for treatment, such as shock therapy, prefund prefrontal lobotomies and insulin <laughs> shock therapy, which was intended to send patients into a coma. Pilgrim is still operating today, though on a much smaller scale, and of course, stands the medieval methods of treatment. Ugh. Greystone Park Psychiatric something. Hospital. It was in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And it's still open from 1876. Damn, that's... A long time. Long ass time. If intentions counted for anything, Greystone's noble man 
mission, mansion, to provide a sanctuary <laughs> for the mental ill might have meant something. That is, had they not went on to interpret sanctuary as squeezing 2,412 patients in a space meant to hold no more than 1,600. To make matters worse, Grayson adopted controversial treatment for its patients, regularly administrating administering pff, insulin and shock therapy. Insulin no, no. Shock therapy. Insulin shock therapy and electroconvulsive therapy to veterans suffering from PTSD. Oh, God. <laughs> As accounts of sexual abuse, suicide, death, and even a well-publicized escape of a rapist became, I think began is what they want, to accumulate, there were increased pressure for Greystone to conclude its program, yet New Jersey's mental health officials have since made plans to replace the facility with a smaller hospital. One can only hope that the new 750-bed facility will provide more humane treatment humane it says humane humane treatment <laughs> what's crazy is that it doesn't say that those like treatments were reformed or have stopped it's saying they just hope that the new one will uh overbrook oh, yeah. insane asylum which is in cedar grove uh new jersey it's from 1896 to 1975 the comely house-like structure that is overbrook insane asylum doesn't belie the horrors that once took place within the facility, part of the self-contained treatment center for the daily care of the mentally ill, was originally chose because of a tranquil setting and the patients never found the solace that uh, they were promised. Uh, Overbrook's patients were subject to a horrifying level of neglect, including an incident in 1917 uh, where 24 issues there? Yeah, where 24 patients were left to freeze to death in their own beds. After an influx of patients post-World War II, the Overbrook's facilities became dangerously overcrowded. As many as 150 patients went missing. Whoa. Despite an expansion, the asylum closed its doors in 1975. The hospital and its tunnels are said to be heavily guarded against trespassers. But you can take a peek at supposedly haunted wards in the screen adaption of Chuck Polinick's Chuck, for which the asylum was used as a set. Oh. Topeka State Hospital. I've heard of this one. It's in Kansas. I've been there actually, not Topeka, to this asylum, not to this asylum, but I've been to Topeka, Kansas. It was from 1872 to 1997. The Topeka State Hospital is a real-life American horror story of unsettling proportions. The patients at the hospital were regularly subject subject to cruelties meant to cure them of their illness. Patients were reported to have been abused and raped, and according to one report, confined in leather straps so long the skin was growing around the straps. But the asylum's true claim to fame was for castrating many of its patients. In 1931, (laughs) Kansas law gave the thumbs up to castration for habitual criminals, idiots, epileptics, imbeciles, and insane. You could just call someone an idiot and they're like, castration! (laughs) As a result... in 1931! Yeah, how is idiot different from imbecile, by the way? Anyways, as a result, 54 castrations took place at the Topeka State Hospital. This was particularly troubling considering the hospital was later found to have many patients whose identities and illnesses were unknown and lacked the proper paperwork to be committed. So many castration... So maybe castration castration as a cure-all wasn't the best idea. Yeah, fucking Okay, update. Uh... The I don't think we'd stay at the hotel just because there's like no it's not like stay in this creepy room one night where this person died like that's not how it works it's literally like still a hotel and spa so you just do the tour you can stay there but yeah we should do the tour and then go someplace that has like the hot springs that are supposed to be really nice okay because I heard those are blessed okay well this hotel without the springs is one hundred and twenty five dollars so. 
for one bed for two adults. So, that's for one bed, two adults? For a night, yeah. That's not bad. That's really not. Okay. Could be worse. Uh, Penhurst Insane Asylum. I've heard of this one, too. There's a movie about this. Yes, it is. Uh, Spring City, Pennsylvania. It's from 1908 to 1987. Uh, Penhurst Insane Asylum was built to educate and care for the mentally disabled, but in a little less than a decade, it became clear that they were doing nothing of the sort. In 1968, CBS 10 correspondent Bill Baldini televised an expose of the uh, institution called Suffer the Little Children. The news report showed harrowing conditions, neglected children's screams filling the air, large-scale physical and sexual abuse, and a general lack of empathy towards patients. There was reported children who who bit one another got a warning, and upon being uh, admonished admonished a second time, had their teeth pulled. Oh, great. Uh, The report, along with the former resident Terry Lee Halderman's account of unsanitary, inhumane, and dangerous conditions, led to a successful class action lawsuit. The court found that over 3,000 of the institution's patients were not receiving adequate care, and the institution was subsequently closed. And the very last one is Athens Lunatic Asylum. It was in Athens, Ohio, and it worked from 1874 to 1993. That's not very long ago. In the 19th century, women who exhibited sexual desire and strong emotions were diagnosed with a medical condition, hysteria. Yeah. From 1968 to... what to 1870 (coughs) what from 1968 to yeah uh from 1870 to 1968 the formative years of the athens lunatic asylum 132 female patients were deemed insane due to similar similar issues including menstrual derangements the asylum's treatment for these women included freezing shocking kicking and in some cases lobotomizing said patients to rid them of their sickness One such patient, Margaret Schilling, is said to still haunt the asylum. In an attempt to escape, Schilling had hidden the attic and ultimately died of starvation there. They say the stain her decomposing corpse left behind on the floor can't be scrubbed clean. Interesting fact. Uh, We could probably stop there because it's two hours. Oh, nine. We went over two hours. (laughs) We barely got to two hours. Guys. We, we, okay, I'm going to tell you guys the honest truth. We try really fucking hard, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, we talk, we we could get to an hour, an hour and a half with just doing two two people, two, like, killers or like, murder mysteries, whatever, and we can only get to two hours with, like, three to four each. So, I'm telling you right now, I don't think you're ever going to have, like, a three to four hour episode. No, unless, we'll do it one day. One day. Unless. Somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow is a three hour episode. <laughs> Maybe if we include, like, a and a and, like, some other help in there. Pre-exemptive help. <laughs> or if we have more people. Yeah, and if we have ten more people. Ten per person. Ten per person. Like no, no, no. Three, four, ten people. No, no, no. If we did ten people, <laughs> ten oh. per person. No, nope. nope. sorry. <laughs> nope. You're gonna hear so many mistranslations from my brain to my mouth. Uh, you're really gonna yeah. think I'm illiterate. So that last one was already. Ugh. <laughs> it's a struggle, man. I'm tell you right now. So we, we tried even did really updates. Hard. We tried so hard to reach three hours, guys. Have some of us mumbling about random shit, like. That's okay, though. That's that's us being human. So. Oh, another update. I don't know if we've said this already. We got our wall painted. We do. We have our wall painted. Did we say that already? No, we haven't, actually. I we feel like we have. Set. 
sort of set up. We've got, we're still working on a few things, but I've, yeah. Otherwise, we tried really hard. So, so we are going, as a reminder, reminder, um, we are going again to attempt to do a Gmail for you guys so that you guys can contact us and, uh, have different conversations with us over things we might have, uh, mistaken or said incorrectly. Again, if that's the case, please be kind. We are researching, but you know, there are times where we misspell something, mispronounce something, or something that we look at just isn't accurate. Please be kind. Uh, we're human beings. We make mistakes. It happens. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a Gmail for you guys to contact in our next episode. When that is up, we will let you know. Um, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm working really hard on getting the Patreon page done and uploaded. Uh, so you guys, hopefully within like the next two months, because I am going on vacation soon, uh, should be able to go there, support us, get some new episodes. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, no, 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 one more. You can also, I wanted to remind you, you guys can sponsor us on anchor.fm where you can search justifiable. Uh, and again, sponsoring isn't really so much just giving money to us. It's giving money for the set, uh, where we would get more like insulation for the, uh, wall so that we don't have the echo. It would just be for us to give you a better listening experience. Uh, that's that's really the only purpose from it. Uh, we really don't make money off of this. The only money that we would make is from uh, like sponsors of uh, like Anchor itself or other businesses. You guys sponsoring us doesn't go, the money doesn't go to us. We put it into our set for you guys. So I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, do you have anything else? Um, I'm actually working on getting you guys a uh kind of a gmail that you guys can talk to us to right now um and i'm i'm thinking that it's going to be justifiable fan talk at gmail.com i'm actually uh like creating that right now so she was literally working as i was talking to you yeah because why not work ahead of it so visit us at justifiable fan talk at gmail.com and you can email us and we'll respond if you are really uh, freaky we will delete your email and not respond or we will respond telling you we don't want your nudes so <laughs> uh so yeah since that is now up i guess feel free to send us emails about your different stories in your hometowns your uh like stories that you want to hear more in depth maybe you've heard about it but you don't want to research it you just want to hear us talk about it that's fine we'll do it um anything else um please please i'm begging of you please do not be creepy yeah uh, if yeah, you have creepy don't. stories and stuff like that that's you, fine yeah like, like one of our voices and you want to compliment i don't care but don't uh, be like sexually weird or don't. like i want to kill you weird yeah please uh, please don't tell me your erotic sexual like dreams don't don't tell me your weird <laughs> murder fantasies Unless we ask for it. If we want to hear your word, like, weird ways you'd murder people, then tell us. Until then, I don't want to hear it. Please. <laughs> uh, please don't also tell us that you've murdered somebody. I don't want to be I don't want to be responsible for that, yeah. Nor do I want to be on trial. Therefore, please just keep it in your pants. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to know about your weird, sick fantasies. Thank you. Okay, we love you guys. Bye. Bye.